This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Uh... Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Becca. Becca's filling in for Jeff, Jeff's filling in for Terry, and Terry's on vacation. And Dan sits in there pretending like he's Terry, and the gang's here, and Terry's gone. We're having some major identity crisis on the show Who here today. Who are we really? <laughs> That's pretty philosophical. It's, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I hope Terry's having a good time, because um, he. it's interesting how much one man does. Yeah. You know what I mean? We didn't know how much he did. We didn't realize it until everything just went off the rails yesterday. Did it go off the rails? Was I here? I don't know. But it will probably make him feel better if he's listening. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, (laughs) you know, we still have two hours today of this show that can still go off the rails. Yeah. So exciting. Anything can happen if you you believe. If you believe that we cannot achieve, <laughs> then this is the day for you. Happy Friday, uh, the day or a couple days before Easter and a couple days before spring break for me. It's exciting. This We're, is very exciting. We've got two Easter egg hunts planned. Oh, really? And as long as uh, my daughter's fever is gone, I can have a camp out with them tonight. Oh. Not like outside, but, you know, we throw a... A blanket down from the top bunk of their yeah, bunk bed, and that's the camp that's, out. Well, it's actually I would. That's a sleepover. Yeah, not a camp out. Well, we're camping out well, g- in camp- their. Uh, we're creating a tent with their bunk bed. Well, it seems like camping out would be. You'd have to actually be out. Out. Well, I'm. I'll be out of out, my bedroom. Well, out of the house. I'm. Oh, I just. I, mean, I don't want to. Using our imagination, though, we transport ourselves outside. Oh. Really? Yes. We we put that blanket down. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden we're outside. Oh, wow. Except it, it's warm and comfortable instead of cold and not. Okay. Yeah, this is modern camping out. That's <laughs> thank you. It's 2018. See somebody sticking you don't need the up outdoors. for me. You know, you're going to be the guy that like owns the big motor home and then pretends like you're going camping. I hope to. But if you, I can It's I mean, not camping in a motor home. I mean, you're basically buying. You're taking out a second mortgage. Yeah, and you'd have a. You would have. You're like Don. Don has a camper. Really? Yeah. Don. Mm. Don's taking his camper out. I think this weekend. Mm. And but he doesn't have like a nice, huge, enormous motorhome. He just has a really awesome camper on the back of a truck. That's what I need. And but I don't have a no. Truck. But it's perfect because then he can go four wheeling and go put it wherever he wants it. You, on the other hand, are sleeping in a. Pseudo tent with your kids in a bedroom. This is economical camping. Yeah. Well, by the way, making a memory with your kids—that's super cool. Yeah. You know who else is celebrating Easter? Um, I don't know. Three quarters of half the world. Well, that's a good point. But the Pope. Yes. The Pope. Did in you fact, see what he's doing? I saw that. That was beautiful. Talk yeah. about it. That's a pretty neat. You thing. know, I'm sure this is the I. The Pope is pretty great. I mean, that's pretty great. A pretty. Pretty ridiculous statement to say because everybody knows that. But, you know, this is something I'm sure he would do even if media wasn't covering it, you yeah. know. And I so apparently one of the things that they do leading up to Easter is he goes into prison and he will wash the feet of inmates. Serve like Christ served. Right. And I've got a quote from what he says here. I am a sinner like you, but today I represent Jesus 
God never abandons us, never tires of forgiving us. Mm. What a cool story. And if you watch the video, I mean, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. He will wash their feet. These are prisoners in a real prison. These are, this is the real deal. Washes their feet, kisses their feet. Yeah. And then hugs them and goes to the next person. When you were, when you mm. were raising your young children, yeah. did you have a difficult time explaining to them what Easter was all about? Did, they, did their mind immediately yeah. go to, oh, it's about, it's about the bunny and yeah. it's no, about totally. the eggs? That's why, yeah. The, the egg thing – and by the way, let's be very real. Uh, the bunny doesn't have much to do with Christ. No. And the egg has very little to do with the bunny. Sure. So it's a mixed metaphor. It's a holiday of mixed metaphors. You've got you've to see We the... should have an Easter chicken <laughs> that lays colored eggs everywhere. Hmm. Not a bunny. Bunnies don't lay eggs. Well, the Seems Cadbury obvious. bunny does. No, he lays chocolate eggs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's different. <The laughs> you've got you've to look up Jim Gaffigan's Easter routine. Because it's like, how do we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? How about eggs? I don't follow your logic. It's All so, right, we'll hide them. It's so sad. Don't What's worry. There's a don't worry. There's a bunny. See, my parents did this really cool thing where we'd uh, we'd make these, and I still remember this. It was like a long time ago, but we'd make these cookies, and they were like there was some kind of cookie where it was definitely like a no bake or something. Yeah. But you'd uh, you'd make them, you'd like set them up, and then you'd put them in the oven. And then I just remember that they sealed off the oven for three days, and we waited, and then we opened them up and like. And there were cookies. And so, I don't know, it was just like a really Whoa. cool – I still that remember actually, that. See, that's a cool memory. What, but I thought you don't bake the no-bake cookies. Right. Oh, so I don't getting think – Getting technical? I don't think yeah. the oven was on. I think we just had to like close it up and then, you know, wait. Seal it off with a mm-hmm. kiss. Three days. It kind of seems like a my random, dad, random guess, number. Guess what my dad did for Easter. What's that? Uh, he bought me chick- – oh, no, he bought me – what were they? Ducks. Really? Yeah, I had two ducks growing up. Hopefully they weren't rubber ducks. No, they were real ducks. Okay. And my see my parents were my parents were divorced. Ah. So my dad got me ducks to take home to my mother's house. Oh, to not to, to be rude, not to but have you ever had a duck? Ducks are not clean. Ducks um, ducks are very smelly. Cute as cute as a duck in a ruck. To care for or to to keep forever. slaughter and eat. No, to keep. Okay. And to care for. Uh, we called them, um, uh, what were they? Huey, Dewey. Oh, like and... uh, Butch and Sundance. Oh, nice. They were darling. And I played with them every day. I'd come back after school. I'd get a bucket full of water, put my ducks in it. They'd run around. They'd make a mess. I'd clean out their cage three times a day. And then one day I came home from school and they were gone. Hmm. They were gone. So you didn't, oh. maybe somebody. Everything oh. was gone. Maybe you had some fagua or something. Yeah, no, maybe, no. Uh, uh, we left everything in the duck. And then um, my mom said that they they moved on. They moved to another place. And then she took me to a wedding um, reception and when I was about about three years later. And she says, remember your ducks? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, they're probably right there in that pond over there. And I'm like, no way. I thought you were going to say, you see that ice sculpture right there? Yeah. They turned into ice. So my, so a little thing you can do if you want to just create an incredible memory for your kids is buy them ducks and then take them away from them. We just went from the Pope washing feet to ducks. Yeah, it's, swimming in a pond at a wedding reception. <laughs> That's their new thing, and in fact, I bet they're still there. I don't know how long ducks live, but not that long. 
Probably not that long. Are Any you, other news? Are you going to be celebrating this weekend by going to see the new Steven Spielberg film? No, you just told me about it today. Ready Player One. It's based on a book, and the book is famous for just jam-packing so many pop culture references into it. Really? So the film is going to be that way, too. And uh, if you even just by watching the trailer, you see a ton of references, some of which are Steven Spiel or like from Steven Spielberg films. So I wanted to give you some of the references to look out for this weekend when you go see it. Ooh. In St. George. Okay. Let's let's do it. Okay. So you're going to want to look out for the DeLorean from uh, Back to the Future, which is the Steven Spielberg cool. connection because yeah. he produced that movie. And uh that's actually in the trailer too. You can see that. The Grady sisters. What do you think of when I say the Grady sisters? No idea. The two creepy twins from the movie The Shining. Ooh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Apparently they're an obstacle in the film. So the film is about it's this contest to see who can find this Easter egg, huh? Huh? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um and whoever finds it wins like half a trillion dollars and control of this company or video game or something like wow. that. Wow. Uh you want to look out for Marvin the Martian? <laughs> Why? Well, it's always good to look out for him. Okay. Batman and Harley Quinn. These are all in one movie. Yeah, and there are going to be dozens and dozens more. Uh, the Iron Giant. Do you know The Iron Giant? Um, it's a 2D animated movie. No. I love that movie. There you go. Brad Bird, who did uh, The Incredibles. Yeah, no. Okay. R2-D2. It's a good one. <gasps> I know that one. <laughs> what was that? I think a bird flew in here. Uh, King Kong. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, th- Spielberg, this is a big Spielberg movie. Yes. And... Look for Chucky. Oh, no way. And I, I'm pretty sure I saw Freddy Krueger in the trailer, too. So it's just going to be jam-packed. Like, it's going to be pop culture overload. The Infinity War of Spielberg. That is a great way to look at it. Exactly. Um, what's the Infinity War? Oh, boy. Ooh. It's so, okay, it's, it's the movie that's uh, it's coming out with, like, Every Marvel character that's oh, yeah. ever been introduced in a movie. Usually, yeah. I think we really do have a new Terry. Usually, I, we totally do. Usually, I have Terry explaining this to me. Yeah. But now today, it's uh, it's Becca explaining it to you, and you're explaining it to me. So there you go. Over the weekend, you've got eggs and Easter eggs to look forward to. Or you could Easter just eggs and film. Turn everything off oh. and just spend time with your family outdoors. Uh, I think I'll just go camping indoors. Thank you very much. Yep. Knew you would. Hey, guess what we're going to be talking about next? We're going to be talking about professionalizing leadership. Should leadership be like a professional uh, you know, position? Like not just part of what you do in your job, your occupation, but actually you're hired as a leader. You are the leader. You're trained. You're you're educated. You're informed. You're just like a doctor, but you're the leader. We'll be talking about it up next.
You know, in recent years, leadership in America has become an assumed skill uh, that can be acquired in just a short time in maybe a course during a semester, you know, going to some executive program or training session or in classrooms on the job. You just it's just a skill. You just pick it up somewhere. But our next guest, Barbara Kellerman, is the author of the book Professionalizing Leadership. She believes that this mentality has led leadership to stay stuck and has caused leadership to remain an occupation instead of becoming a full fledged profession. And she joins us today. Barbara Kellerman is the James McGregor Burns Lecturer in Public Leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School. She is the founding executive director of the school's Center for Public Leadership. Barbara, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Matt, for having me. Talk about this. What, do you, what exactly do you mean by, you know, leadership needs to become a profession? What would that look okay. like? So uh, I'm going to give you an example because we Perfect. have an example in the news uh, in the last 24 hours. So as you probably know, there's a new nominee for uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, that's Admiral, uh, Rear Admiral Romney, uh, Ronnie Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he has gotten very high praise. He's the President's, President Trump's personal physician, has gotten very high praise for being a good physician and very high praise for being very well liked. But he has absolutely mm-hmm. zero experience running an extremely large organization, right. which of course the Department of Veterans Affairs is. So my question is, why do we assume that somebody who takes a, an important leadership role can simply slide into that role without any expertise or any experience whatsoever when there is, in fact, no profession of which we would assume the same? And indeed, there's no vaca- uh, vocation of which we would so assume true. the same. So true. Well, and millions of dollars. If we hire a plumber or an electrician for our, for, to repair our home or to work on our house, we are assuming that that person has a certain level of education and a certain level of training. We do not, for whatever reason, assume the same with leadership, with one exception, which is the American military, which does assume that exactly. anyone appointed or promoted to a position of any responsibility has been properly educated and trained. Isn't that true? And I mean, I just think of corporate America. You think of uh, these large organizations like uh, even the United Way. You'd think if you're bringing a leader in, it's one thing to be, you know, an excellent um, tactician of whatever the specialty is of your business. But to then go in and have to lead thousands of people, tens of thousands or all the money associated with all of this and the systems and the structures, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense, and it didn't used to be that way, Matt. In times long ago, it was assumed, and I can think of it, you know some of the great names of leadership learning, Confucius or Plato or Machiavelli, right. they assumed you had to have an enormous amount of background and experience before you could possibly dream of assuming a leadership role. So what I generally do in, in the book that you refer to, Professionalizing Leadership, is to sort of fault the leadership industry, and we can talk about what I mean by that in a moment, if you wish, uh, for not taking leadership seriously and sending the misguided and mistaken message that you too can learn how to be a leader, as you said earlier, in an executive program of a week or a month, or in a course, or in a single term, or even a single year. Mm. No, it takes much more preparation to be a good leader, as in both wise and effective. Such great advice or ideas. Talk about um, the – because part of this is it almost seems – 
like uh, there's not a quantifiable metric. I don't know. Like, is that why we we kind of lost the idea of leadership as profession? Just because it's it's just something that's part of everything. I think that's a really good point, Matt. The metric of of good leadership is very hard to pin down. Uh, however, that did not used to stop us from assuming <laughs> that somebody who took a leadership role had to have some background and some expertise. So it's difficult to be precise because human beings are not widgets. But most of us know a good leader when we see one. We know when someone's being ethical. We know when someone's being effective. And conversely, we tend to be able to judge when somebody's ineffective and unethical. So while it's difficult, if not impossible, to pin down a standard or metric with precision, it is not. We make assessments of leaders all the time. So in this case, I argue, and by the way, there are people who have a variety of metrics, but none is widely agreed on. Hmm. That is correct. Still, we know very well that for any position of responsibility, any task of responsibility, some education and some training of considerable note is worth investing. And if we don't do it, then somehow we will pay the price for it. Again, to repeat, the military gets this right. They, and certainly someone who goes to the service academies, they are imbued with the ethics of leader, leadership, with how to be an effective leader, and they get educated, trained, and developed from the get-go. And that, that is like integrated into the entire process. That is from beginning to end, their goal is to actually make a leader. That is perfect way of putting it, Matt. It is part and parcel of the process. The message is sent for months, if not years on end, that you too can learn to be a leader, but only if you invest a considerable amount of time and energy in the process. It is not assumed to be automatic. I mean, there's something, whatever one may think of Donald Trump and his performance and his ideology, the simple idea that he or an Oprah Winfrey or a, an actress named Cynthia Nixon, who's now running for the governorship of, of New York, York yeah. could simply be qualified uh, without any expertise or experience is patently ridiculous. And just one more word at this point, I argue in professionalizing leadership, you don't have to be in the military to get the basics of a leadership education and good leadership training. You can do it on a much smaller scale in a much shorter period of time, but you can't and shouldn't shortchange it altogether. Mm. You, you say some of this just comes from the industry itself, kind of the leadership training, I guess, industry. Uh, so, so what happened there that might be driving this issue? And, and also... How do you fix it? Where do you where where does the average Joe go start their curriculum of leadership? Well, uh, to your first question, the leadership industry as we now know it is only about forty years old. It's only in the last few decades that there is this plethora all over the place in the academy, at, in high schools, at the undergraduate level, in graduate and professional schools, in organizations and institutions, private sector, public sector, you name it. Leadership training, uh, leadership learning, leadership programs are now ubiquitous. It is a 15 to $20 billion a year globally uh, global industry, and a lot of people make a lot of money professing to teach how to lead. But they generally, in my view, are slightly, I wouldn't say fraudulent, but misleading, hmm. because they give the impression 
that if you read my book, if you take my course, if you come to my workshop or seminar, you too can learn how to be a leader. It's not the way it used to be. It is rather now becoming a money-making proposition for so-called leadership experts, some of whom are not incredibly well qualified. You, you, can claim, you too, Matt, can claim yeah. how to be able to teach leadership without any credentials. Anyway, yeah, anyone. Because yeah, you've led before. You've led before, or even if you haven't. There are many leadership teachers who have not led. They simply have some credential that they claim, but there's no licensing required. No, you know, if you're a second grade teacher, you need a license. Can't just walk into a second grade classroom and start teaching teaching uh, six or seven year olds. It's so true. So uh, you know, there's no licensing, no credentialing, no national organization. Again, there's no vocation and there is no profession that is remotely like leadership. Oh man, it's true, and it seems <laughs> like we're suffering then because we we do have it seems like an absence of leadership we have we have even we even have innovative like incredible uh incredible innovators and creative people i think of like a zuckerberg and yep. um incredibly smart but it doesn't necessarily mean they should be leading the company <laughs> Well, Mark Zuckerberg was a perfectly, uh, perfectly apt example. Obviously, he's a genius. Yes. Uh, that goes without saying. He founded Facebook, uh, came up with the idea, was a imp- brilliant implementer, and has done, a, you know, uh, obviously, brilliant performance even as an executive. However, since you mentioned Zuckerberg, we need to point out that in recent months, Facebook has run into considerable trouble, and he has not been Mark Zuckerberg has not been, nor I might add, a feminist saint of some kind, Sheryl Sandberg. Neither of them has been, have been particularly adroit at managing the crisis in which they have found themselves in recent months and in particular in recent weeks. So they're not exempt from this idea of, you know, it takes a little bit of skill as well as talent to learn how to lead, and they are learning the hard way that in this day and age, any leader that does not pay attention to his or her followers is going to be undone by them because the culture has changed, the technology has changed, and therefore followers are far yeah. more powerful than they used to be, and leaders, in effect, are far weaker than they used to be. You know, again, we're speaking with Barbara Kellerman, who is the James McGregor Burns Lecturer in Public Leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School. She's also the author of the book Professionalizing Leadership, uh, which was published at the beginning of uh, this month. Barbara, one interesting thing I'm noticing, though, we are seeing, like, for example, this idea of coach, like life coach. Um, that's becoming professionalized where you now can get uh, licensure. You can get, I mean, not not like, not like a medical licensure, but it's finally getting formalized. Is that really what you're looking for is this concept of being a leader needs to be much, much more formalized, even, even more so than coaching, but, but maybe not to the degree of medical doctor. Well, yes, I think that's, again, very well put, Matt. I'm not claiming uh, that leadership is certainly not overnight is going to be like law or medicine. Absolutely not. On the other hand, institutions and organizations that profess to teach leadership might take some tips from, let's say, the military or from professions or vocations that do it well. And I basically come up with three simple steps. This is not rocket science. Step one. 
education. You can't learn how to lead without having some sense of what leadership is all about. You wouldn't learn how to be a surgeon without studying anatomy. Similarly, spend some time learning about leadership. Second step, training. Once you have some of the basics, you understand what leadership and followership and power and authority and influence are, get some training. That training can be experiential. That training can be in skill development. So step two is training, and step three is development. In other words, education, training, and development. What do I mean by development? I draw a parallel, for example, to adult development more generally. Learning to lead is a lifelong process. It's not something you pick up, as I've said, in a term or a weekend. So understand about yourself. Understand about those who are around you that leadership is a system. There are leaders. There are followers or others. And there is the context within which leaders and followers are embedded. It takes quite a while to learn all that. So get some education, even if it's very modest, Get some training, even if it's modest, and understand that development, that is lifelong learning, just as if you're a physician, you need to get continuing education. You can't assume that that medical degree is going to stand you in good stead lifelong. So understand that learning to lead is also a lifelong process, just as developing into a full-fledged, wise, mature, and competent adult is similarly something you do not just in your 20s and 30s, but equally in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. Right. So how would you practically see this rolled out? If I work for Hewlett-Packard, would I work my way up? And when I reach a certain level of management, I would uh, then be placed into their leadership kind of program? Or would I be going and and actually certifying and being getting my MBA and with with a minor in leadership? Yeah, I'm not even, look, every institution and organization would do it differently. I think business schools that, you know, almost every business school teaches leadership slash management in one form or another. Yes, I think they should be far more rigorous. They should have a basic, they should have just the way a medical school or a, 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 a school, again, to be a plumber or a hairdresser or a truck driver. You begin by learning some of the basics. It is sequential. Again, this is not rocket science, but you establish a curriculum that begins with education, goes on to training, and continues on to development. That can be done within Hewlett-Packard. It can be done within the Harvard Kennedy School. It can be done at Brigham Young. Hmm. Human resources people have access to lots of leadership programs. Colleges and universities are forever running leadership programs but they are not inclusive enough, they are not demanding enough, and they are not rigorous enough. So put in some education, that's required, some education, even if it's only a course or two or a weekend or two, some education, and we can, you know, one can discuss what that education should consist of, then some training, and then some connection to leadership learning lifelong. And yes, If you have passed certain steps, why not give a license or a certificate of some kind, even if it's only within the institution? But that certificate has to be demonstrable evidence of quality and of learning that that has taken place. It shouldn't just be given cheaply and easily. Yeah. No, I think this is brilliant. And and now I just can't figure out, Barbara, why, why aren't we doing it? 
I mean, it's it's like it's a no brainer. And it's in a way we take communication classes uh, to be supposedly better communicators. But why why are we not? Why is this not so much more attractive to the to the organizations? You know, Matt, because uh, leadership teachers, as you said, they can be in universities or they can be coaches and consultants, have in general gotten away with murder. <laughs> and leadership learners, that is, whether they're young students or whether they're people within an organization eager to get ahead, they're buying what we're selling. And we are not selling wares that are very well made. It's as if we're selling a product but I argue the product, by and large, that we sell is shoddy. Once again, you only have to compare leadership learning generally in the private, not-for-profit, higher education sectors. Compare these with leadership education in the military, yeah. and you can easily see how it is done poorly and how it is done well. Again, this is not rocket science. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be institutionally or organizationally rich. You just have to think through what does it take to learn any task that is of any consequence. And again, I start with the vocations, not just with the professions. And we have to demand it, it seems like, as people. Like, we have to demand more from our leaders uh, and not just allow people to stay in positions because they invented the thing. (laughs) I couldn't agree more, Matt. That's a long conversation. I would say that we are demanding it. Our trust in leaders is as low as it has ever been, whether these are leaders in business, leaders in government, leaders in the media, indeed leaders in higher education and leaders in religion. We are less trusting. We are less respectful of people in positions of authority. We are sending messages that the leaders we have are not good enough, particularly in liberal democracies. Unless liberal democracies learn how to get their act together more effectively than we've been doing in the last 10, 20, 30 years, for various reasons, including, as I said, changing cultures and changing technologies, leadership in a country such as the United States, or for that matter, uh, Great Britain and France and Germany, leader leading in a liberal democracy will prove increasingly difficult. By the way, this applies in the private sector every bit as much as uh, as in the public and not-for-profit sectors. This so is not true. simply limited to leaders in government. CEOs are having a harder time leading. Their tenures are shorter, etc. Across the board, you can talk university presidents. Every person in a position of leadership is having a harder time now exercising leadership than they did a generation ago. So true. So true. Barbara Kellerman, thank you so much for this uh, this great and even energizing for me now. Man, I'm looking at it. I'm going to be pushing on leaders more than ever before. Uh, professional Professionalizing Leadership is the name of the book. Barbara Kellerman, again, uh, a leader in the field of leadership as the uh, uh, James McGregor Burns Lecturer in Public Leadership at Harvard Kennedy School. And all of us, folks, we we got to be more real about this. This is these are your institutions. These are your this is your money, right? This is your government. This is your non for profit. This is your church. Um, we've got to we've got to make sure that we have the leadership leading the world that uh, that we need. There, we'll continue the journey, doing what we can on the show here to uh, help all of us be the good in the world.
coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, folks. You know, uh, such a true point, right? That we professionalizing something as important as leadership could be... Um, it could be such a rich uh, guide or, or help to all of us in in our lives. Uh, I notice that even in um, the, the the Church uh, of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, I see we. I, I heard a, a, a conversation a while ago about the leadership uh, is so old in the church, and I'm thinking, what? The reason is exactly what Barbara Kellerman was talking about. You have to grow leaders. Reader, leaders have to develop. They have to have opportunities to uh, lead, to organize, to to um, to have to learn the skills, the gifts of all of the things you need to do to be a leader, to be able to communicate, to create a vision, to try to inspire and motivate, to understand, to empathize, to counsel, to uh, to create new systems and structures and and diagnose problems organizationally. So I guess we just assume someone should be able to leave Harvard MBA school and just do that, right? Or would they actually need to have practiced it? I mean, are we, are we just into thinking that all you really need really is just a diploma or just a, you know, something from the right school? Because graduating from the right school will automatically give you what the military can somehow instill in a four-star general in 25 years. You can get that all at an Ivy League college, right? No, it's not happening that way. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes it takes a, a need to process and to experience and on top of it to somehow integrate it into the rest of your life to create balance. Do you want a person that only knows leadership but doesn't have any other balance in their life? Life is about one complete whole. And if, if we really want to try to get more um, more out of our institutions, then we have to have more out of our institutional leaders. And it's not enough that all they're really good at is the one thing that they've only ever done in their life. Think about how many times you could you could have an incredible uh, leader of an organization that impacts you every single day that ha- doesn't have any other depth in their life because they don't have other things going on. They don't necessarily – they don't understand the needs of a family or the, the needs of a spouse or – they they don't understand um other you know essential issues they've they've never lived abroad they've never traveled anywhere else they've they they haven't got the depth and if we want depth then we we probably need to demand depth and we we probably ought to start making some comments or saying something about um these issues professionalizing leadership how great would that be to know that the ceo of the organization that runs your your bank for example not only had an MBA, but also had two years of uh, of residency. Let's call it learning leadership in in through three or four different educational and training programs, along with a regular annual, you know, thirty forty hour developmental program. How great would that be? What's the downside to that? And again, back to President Trump, uh, you know, the Veterans Association is, I think, the second largest institution or organization in his cabinet, second largest in size 
and uh, he fires his leader, and then he hires his doctor. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to be down on President Trump. I'm saying just because you have a great doctor doesn't mean that they'll be an, a leader, even if they are a rear admiral, right? Doesn't mean that they have what it takes necessarily to run the second largest organization, and I mean, I, I I see it all the time where they take the best sales leader in an organization and they make him the sales manager, and it doesn't always work. Let alone making him the chief global sales officer in the C-suite. Does he have any other way, idea of organizing the systems and the structures that need to be there to make something like that actually happen? It 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 doesn't always work. So. Just think about it. Think about how leadership's impacting you and think about how you push on your leaders a little bit more. Uh, Also, another thing I do is make sure your kids are learning leadership by just talking about it more, sharing it more, and uh, and making it a part of their, their curriculum when they go to the university and high school. Anyway, doing what we can to give you the tools you need. Just a little coach's advice. You don't have to take it. It's just my idea. Hey, we'll come back, continue the journey. We'll be talking about counseling children on finding a career straight ahead. Jim Citrin is the author of the Career Play uh, Playback and uh, play, Playbook, Essential Advice for Today's Aspiring Young Professional. He's also a senior partner and member of the board at Spencer Stewart, where he leads the firm's uh, CEO practice. And a few uh, months ago, we had him on the show to talk to him about how to talk to your kids about the realities of finding a career in today's day and age. I began the interview pointing out that kids don't always listen to their parents' advice. So what is a parent to do when they want to help their children with career decisions? I've got 25-year-old, 23-year-old, and 20-year-old kids. Yeah, there you go. And, and so I get it. But let me, let me give a little context because you're absolutely right in the setup. It's hard to advise young people, particularly if they're your kids. Yeah on how to pursue a career, how to get a job, how to think about it. But the broader topic is, even though the economy at this moment is pretty good, it's very hard getting a job, getting a good job, how to think about a career when you're coming out of, whether it's BYU or any university or in your 20s, getting that first step is really difficult. And it's shifted, hasn't it? Because it's not the same... It's not the same kind of work market or workplace that it that it was 20 years ago. I think everybody knows that instinctively at yeah. this stage. But the statistics absolutely underscore that when you or I were starting out uh, in, in a career or people in their 40s or their 50s or in their 60s, the average number of companies or organizations that you could be expect to work for over your career was three to four. Today, someone coming out of college or university can expect to work for 10 to 20 different organizations. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. So the actual act of managing a career is a skill in and of itself that will help determine how successful someone's going to be. And then the, 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 there's a good news and bad news to that. The good news is that there are genuinely more opportunities out there, more early stage companies powered by technology that can do more with less. And that's exciting. And young people today are very drawn to the freedom and the change the world possibility of early stage companies. 
that might change as the as the economy uh, gets in a more challenged state. Right. But the other on the other side, companies don't have the resources to invest as much in entry level programs, graduates, training programs, rotational programs that for many years in many industries created the foundation for successful careers. That just doesn't exist anymore. So it makes that first step extraordinarily difficult. How do you break in? How do you get that first shot? And so this this book that I wrote, The Career Playbook, has been a real effort over two years to distill tons of research and everything that I've done professionally, which is executive recruiting at the CEO level for the last 20 plus years, Hmm. and applying that to people in their 20s. Oh, wow. Here we go then. Yeah. Unleash the Kraken, Jim. I, I really want to figure out. So so what do we teach them? What do they need to know? Because that, well, that, is, that is so amazing to me. 10 to 20 companies. Do you remember? It used to be the day, you know, if you could just get on with IBM, yes. you were set. Or a good bank. Or, or a good Parker bank. Gamble, That's right. Or, or a major not-for-profit organization. And, and that just doesn't no. really exist anymore. And so here, here's the way I think about it, and here's the advice uh, that, and, and we can have a special part of this conversation on, on if your listeners or parents, how literally to broach the topic with your kids so yeah. that they listen enough. Yeah. But the book actually is, is written in a way that speaks in the language of young people in their 20s. And I had a lot of help with that. Again, my own kids and many of their friends. I'm on the board of uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Oh, great. And I lead a lot of career uh, planning efforts there. I was on the board of my own alma mater, Vassar College, for 12 years and led a lot of career stuff there. And then plus we did a massive amount of research over, over a year period where I surveyed a team and I at Spencer Stewart, my executive recruiting firm that I, I'm a partner of, we surveyed over 2,500 people in their 20s there you on go. a whole battery of different questions and things about how young people think about their careers, how they weigh off trade-offs, how they actually have gotten jobs, if they've gotten jobs, how they think about the trade-offs between money and lifestyle, a lot of very sensitive questions. But then, Matt, I, I mirrored all of that research with a lot of the client clients that I work with, I've placed CEOs of Intel and Cisco and Yahoo and lots of very high profile companies and have wonderful access to business leaders across not only the United States, but around the world. And I was able to do a hundred interviews with CEOs and chief HR officers to try and ask them similar questions about what advice they have. Right. Because it has to match. It has to match, right? The the youth, the the 20 year old has to have their their need met and understanding met with the executive that's going to be doing the hiring. If those don't match, this isn't going anywhere. Well, I'll tell you what. There are serious areas of disconnect, and yeah. it's not only that the young people don't get it, quote-unquote, but genuinely, here's something that I think it's really important to point out, and this goes to how you talk to your kids about careers, which is it's really easy for a successful person or an older person to say, to talk about careers as if things were inevitable, and here's how it worked for me. That doesn't really help a young person who's looking forward. The, the point is that careers make sense only in retrospect. They don't make any sense huh. 
in where you are today looking forward. And all that does, in fact, the more successful you are, uh, the more successful a, a parent is, or, or, or an uncle, or an aunt, uh, or, or a friend, the more, the more anxious it makes someone hearing their story, because their thinking, their little internal conversation is going, well, it was easy for you, but that's you. Right. And by t- particularly on issues like money. Most, most in, throughout the career playbook, I have these call-out quotes because I had this working group of about 50 young people in their 20s, and I wanted to pepper it in with the anxieties that the young people have today. And again, it's easy for Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, or Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, or Sheryl Sandberg, and all these wonderful people saying, oh, here's what you should do. But um, so the, the, the best quote in the book is from this great young man named Nate. Uh, Nate said, if someone tells me to follow my passions one more time, I think I'm going to get sick. <laughs> so, so that's not helpful advice. Right. Follow your passion. By the way, I gave that advice last night, Jim. <laughs> I just told my son, hey, if you do what you're passionate about, you'll make enough money to be happy. And he's, and he's like, okay, Dad. Yeah, okay. It's like, okay, now uh, that, and uh, now how do I exactly. get a job that will actually pay the rent? Right, uh, right. That's, that's the next thing that they're thinking. And so I think the better, the, better, uh, the better advice is to start with kind of an understanding of how careers really work today. The fact that, number one, and I, I, we can talk, and I know we have a few minutes, which is nice. I can give you some really concrete yeah. advice to pass on to, to young people that is proven. And that's the exciting part about this book because it's a it's a daunting topic and oh, it's a huge, huge challenge. Right. And thankfully, you know, two years later of all this work and twenty years of executive recruiting, I was able to crystallize it and it actually works. So thank goodness for that. That is Jim Critton again, uh or sorry, Citrin again and um the book he wrote is The Career Playbook, Essential Advice for Today's Aspiring Young Professionals. There really are there's so many things we gotta teach our kids. On top of it all, give them the skills, the tools they need, hopefully that they can go out and get a job. And meanwhile, remembering the entire time that it's their life, not yours. Hmm. Oh, nothing's more difficult than the role of a parent, especially of a parent with an emerging uh, adolescent, one that's starting to grow up, starting to to want their freedom and and need to, to, to step out of the nest. So... Wish all you parents good luck on that one. We'll continue bringing the tools, the information you need, though, to live healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Becca. Jeff filling in for Terry. Becca filling in for Jeff. Dan filling in for everybody else. And, uh... Today's Friday, and this is my last hour of the week. And Not your last I'm, hour of a couple of weeks, because yeah, you're gone. I'm going to take. I'm going to go to spring break. Nothing more fun than going to spring break with all those college kids uh, in Miami, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds kind of creepy when you put it that way. I'm just going to spring break with my family, my kids. 
Wait, Florida? I thought you were going to St. George. I am. I am. But I thought that's a funny idea to think of me going to Florida to go hang out with all the spring break kids. I could see you strolling down the street to the tune of uh, the Saturday Night Fever theme. (laughs) Really? Sure. That's how you see me? That's not not how I like to see you, but that's for some reason that's the image in my mind right now. So we yeah. might want to move on. Yeah, let's move on. Hey, um, so much to cover today, so much to talk about, but uh, we we've made an intentional effort to to focus on life lessons, right? Instead of politics, instead of politics, and it's crazy. It, it was a good exercise for us because it's a reminder of how politics heavy news media yeah. is. Oh yeah. It's and honestly, there's there's a lot of stories out there we never get to because we're so caught up in talking about the media. Well, I think so, Terry is the biggest culprit. Well, yeah, because Terry loves talking about politics. We can throw him under the bus. He's not because he's not here, here and so. he's. I'm pretty sure he's probably at Legoland today, so he's definitely not listening. Mm, he's probably got his headphones in while waiting in line. <laughs> so true, so true. So today we're going to talk about cheetahs, lottos, and guns. Hmm. Doesn't that didn't Dorothy say something? Cheetos, lottos, and guns. Oh my, Cheetos, lottos, and guns. Yeah. So let's get to uh, <laughs> let's get to those headlines. Uh, first to the lotto. Um, what's what's the big deal? I, I mean, I know Jeff follows the lotto a well, lot. Well, typically, when you have a lotto winner, they win some obscene amount of money, yeah. and half of it's taken away. Well, I shouldn't say taken away. Half of it you give to the U.S. government, right? Um, and it's like thirty million dollars. But think of it this way. How would you feel if you won basically $3,000 per month for the rest of your life? Well, I would – I mean that would be great. I'm not – I don't believe we should do the lotto. I don't like lottos because I just think a lot of people waste their money. Well, what but would I, what would I tell you – it, what would I tell you? This wasn't somebody that's been playing the lotto her whole life. It's somebody that on her first try won – a thousand Canadian dollars per month for the rest of her life, and it's, she's a younger woman. She's eighteen. She was doing it for her eighteenth birthday. Oh wow! And what a way to celebrate! And, right? and she wins, and now she's basically got an income. Yeah, that is forever. for some people. That is how much money they make a year working forty hours a week. That's it. It's that's, crazy. That's a great start to life, I guess. I mean, how many people at eighteen say, "Oh, I mean," because I had a, I had my eighteenth birthday wish, and that was never happened. It was meeting Farrah Fawcett. Oh, yeah, Never that happened. can't happen. I guess it's it could happen. Late. Could happen after this life. I think. I think it might be too late. Well, She's on not, this earth, it's too yeah, late. I'll but. meet her. I'll meet her in the afterlife. Yeah, and hmm. well, just go rewatch an episode late. of uh, Charlie's Angels. Well, I don't know if you know this, but um, do you know what Charlie's last name is? Uh, Brown? No. Fawcett? No. Uh, Townsend? No. Charlie Are you Townsend. serious? Well, now you ruined it for me. That was like the big reveal for the series. Charlie Now I don't have to watch it. No, that was it. So uh, I always thought of Farrah more as one of my angels. Okay. Now I'm hoping – I mean I'm hoping she'll do the responsible thing. She's only 18. So hopefully she will put it aside for maybe college. Oh, you're back to the lotto? Oh, we've moved on. I was still thinking of Farrah. Okay. I was trying to get you away from Farrah. That was good. So, so, but what will she do? The right, just invest her money, get to college, get a degree, get a career. That's what you would hope. Yeah. If you only ever have like one lotto ticket, and the first time you win all this money, how hard would it be not to play again? Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. 
That's why that's why the lotto is just it's just Satan's little tool. I think the lotto is kind of like uh, a blackout. It really brings out your true character. Oh, you know, like if 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 there's a blackout and uh, you don't have to follow the rules because maybe there's not law enforcement around yeah. or people can't catch you. Would you? Are you the type of person that will go in and steal everything from a store? Oh yeah. Would when you, you go loot it and right? And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the blackout, you come out with like a huge television. Right. Just what you need in the blackout. If, if you win the lotto, are you the type of person that's going to quit their job and just lounge around for the rest of your life? No. See? I mean, I would take a year off. Really? And I would I would watch everything on Netflix. <laughs> You don't have to win the lotto to watch everything on Netflix. No, just to get it out of my system. Okay. And then I would get to work. The problem is they're constantly adding new content. Ah, don't say that. It's too overwhelming. We talked about this. There is so much to watch that you end up watching less. Yeah. And then you, you feel bad that you're missing out. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a really good point. But at least I know what my kids look like. Yeah. For now. (laughs) When they get older, you may, you may, Get other hobbies. Hey, uh, here's a here's a here's a really I think cool invention. So, how many times have you heard of the police using excessive force, maybe shooting somebody they didn't need to, but they they kind of don't have another option, right? So they've either got to tase you, but taser is scary if it's kind of a life threatening situation. So if the guy has a knife and you have a gun. What do you do? So they always pull out the gun because the guy could be the, the guy with the knife could kill you. So what if they had a way that they could shoot you, but the shot didn't necessarily kill you? I think that would be ideal. And what if it wasn't? Uh, what, what if you could still use your same gun so you don't have to change into a third weapon? So police already have. Uh, if you've ever seen their holsters, they'll have like their taser on one side and their gun on the other side, and. You can't have a third one, a third weapon. This is an even better idea. So instead of coming up with a new gun, you get an accessory. You get an accessory that you just put on the tip of your real gun, and then it's what it is is it's a big bullet. It looks like a toy gun that you just put a cap over the front of your gun, and you still shoot a bullet, and the bullet then gets embedded in another bigger piece of – it looks like a metal ball. Okay. About the size of a ping pong. All right. Ball, and then that's what hits the, the, the criminal. This and, is really interesting. And it would hurt way bad. And it would intimidate. If you knew you were like – you might rather have a bullet than honestly just break a rib with a – I would do what you told me to do if you were threatening me with an airsoft gun. Yeah. And the cool thing is is once you've discharged this – the first uh, – the bullet that's – I don't know what they're calling it, but the the fake bullet, the one that's the – the ping pong. They just, just the kinder, just call it gentler the bullet. The ping pong <laughs> bullet. Then your gun. Your gun is then ready to use as a real weapon again. So you immediately now have the backup of the real gun. Plus, on those family campouts, you just aim it in the air and play no. a ball or no, game no, of no, catch. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you don't do it. But it seems like we we have been missing. Uh, we've been missing something to do in between. We thought yeah. the taser was good, but I can't have a taser on you if you're coming at me with a knife. Do you feel like there will still be the legal ramification? That are people still going to sue police over this yeah. type of thing? Oh yeah, wait till yeah. you get hit by this thing, <laughs> and you're just you're just a grandma reaching for your wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I mean now they they've got they've got those 
badge cams. They've got their dash cams. They have ways that we have ways. You know, if if police officers are sued, they have this evidence to show. No, I gave them every opportunity to listen to my instructions, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. I mean, what can I do? I'm trying to help you. But yes, I mean, regardless of lawsuits, it's much better to subdue someone than to kill them. No. Yeah. If you can do that, that'd be great. Yeah. But the thing was, there's always a threat and you can't take a threat lightly. So now you don't have to. I will fire a ping pong, a metal ping pong ball at you. And if that doesn't stop you, you're going to die with a gun. Well, and this is great too, because in my mind, I'm always thinking, why did they kill the person? Why didn't they just shoot him in the leg or shoot him in in some other appendage? And they, but the the thing is, you hear that they are trained, like when they have to shoot somebody, they shoot to kill. Well, yeah, you're not, you're shooting a gun. You're not, we're not dancing. (laughs) If I'm going to discharge my gun. (laughs) But in the movies, they always like kneecap somebody, but cops can't be kneecapping people either. So instead. That's horrible. That's like every Liam Neeson movie right there. (laughs) It's just a kneecap. Uh, There is one other uh, thing we need to talk about. And by the way, we'll post a video of that uh, ping pong gun. It's way cool. It sounds like a ping pong ball gun, but it's it's just a regular gun. Um, And but how about this? If you're let's just say you're taking a, a safari, you're on a safari with your family, a surfing safari. No, just a regular safari. Okay, And you park your car to watch maybe a family of cheetahs. I wouldn't park. And you park your Jeep, your safari, your safari vehicle. I'd be coasting. And out of nowhere, a cheetah jumps up into your car. So what do you do when you've got a, che- a cheetah in your car gnawing on the back seat and you can see it in the rearview mirror in your car? What do I'm, you do? What I'm do you guessing do? you don't pull out your bag of Cheetos and start munching on them. No, I'd throw the bag out. I I would – in the video that we watched – there were three points. I think one of them was don't move. This guy did not move. He was just kind of looking out of the corner of his eye. I, I, I can't stay remember. Stay quiet. Stay quiet. Always stay quiet when you have a cheetah in your car. Great advice. Don't make eye contact. I I wouldn't make eye contact even if there was a safety barrier between us. Yeah. And in fact, what's funny is Dan said these are the same three rules that his mom gave him for dating. Don't move. <laughs> stay quiet. And uh, don't wow. make eye contact. And it's kind of weird. Five times out of ten, those are pretty good odds. It'll work. <laughs> It'll work. But you can't, how do you shoo? You can't shoo a cheetah out of your car. Get away. Did you say he was with his family? Like, did he have kids in the backseat? Uh, all we see is him. Oh, okay. It didn't look like a giant. It didn't look like a like maybe it was uh, one of the parents. It looked maybe like it was a younger cheetah. I don't know. I I didn't age the cheetah. Yeah. But oh, the cheetah's family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but I, I think I don't know that cheetahs are enormous. They're just really lanky, and they're fast. Oh, they're fast, and they sell uh, cheetos. But and two, the, the guy was in charge of other guests, so whoever the tour guide was is like he's got guests that could die at the hands. of Why wasn't the tour cheetah. guide during doing anything about it? I guess he was because he was just. Well, they've got brochures for that, you know. Well, and there is so a like... moment once once the cheetah's in the car, it's it's too late. Mm. You know what I mean. It's mm. kind of like once the Cheetos bag is in your hand and opened, it's too it's late. It's too late. Someone's going to die. And plus you'll finish the entire bag. That's how it works, folks. That's how it works. You know, life ain't easy. Hey, up next we're going to be talking about the power of your identity, uh, tools, information, ideas to, uh, to improve how you see yourself. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are on the phone with Rock Thomas. Uh, Rock is uh, a certified NLP practitioner, self-made millionaire, best-selling author, and author of the book, The Power of Your Identity. Today, he's talking to us about the power of uh, of how you can actually um, move your identity and, and recreate this sense of who you are. Um, and we're honored to have you back. Rock, thank you again for being with us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, I'm passionate about the topic because there's a lot of people that are in pain because the love that they sought from people that labeled them poorly is causing a lot of pain. I had a recent video that came out. It went viral. It was seen by 65 million people, and I had over 10,000 personal messages that came in. And, wow. And it was really power toward being able to change your identity, Matt. Talk about um, how you do this. How were you personally able to make your discovery? What happened with you? And, uh, and, and what are some ideas of ways that we can rework our identity? Yeah, so that's the reason I wrote the book. Is, uh, my five-step process is in there. But very briefly, what I discovered is that I wanted my father to be proud of me. And he was a workaholic. So what I did was I tried working hard all the time to make him proud, and it was never good enough. Whatever I did, it was never good enough, and it created a massive amount of pain in me. And then one day when he got cancer and, and you know, passed away, that sort of moved in the background, and a new mentor came into my life, which is the first millionaire I ever met. And he looked at me from a different perspective. He saw me, and I think people need to be seen. And when you see me acknowledged for what, somebody truly sees you as you can be, then you can grow into it. And he said, you know, you, you don't have to be that pizza-faced skinny little kid. You could be something you want to be. Who do you want to be? And I, I thought, I love Clint Eastwood. I want to be like him. Hmm. I was like, okay, well, what, what, what does he stand for? And I go, this is a ruggedly handsome guy. He goes, ruggedly handsome. You're right. Your face lights up when you say that rock. And he goes, every time you think of pizza-faced, I want you to change it to ruggedly handsome and then say it a thousand times. Hmm. And I said, really? And I did that, and I started to shift how I felt. My confidence went up, and then I started to have success in work, and I went from a struggling real estate agent to saying, I'm the best real estate agent in my area. And then sure enough, I sold 100 homes a year and then bought the company I was working for. And I've used that to transform any negative belief into a positive, empowering belief for the rest of my life. And and you just is it is it as simple as I guess all we have to do is get our mind to believe it. Yeah. I mean there's there's some layers to go through. It's not like you can just sit there and say I'm a billionaire and all of a sudden you're gonna be a yeah. billionaire because you're not comfortable with it. If you're a golfer you play really well on the front line, you usually blow up in the back or vice versa because you have an identity of what you should shoot or how you should play, what we call a comfort zone. So you have to graduate through it, but it is possible. That's the most important thing, and you've got to be in an environment that is supportive, encouraging, and challenging to get you to grow to the next level of what you can be. Hmm. That's, um, I mean, I, I guess part of it, too, is, and what's a little scary, I think, about identity is, like, like, and your dad was just trying to probably do the best he could do and didn't know any other way to do it but just work hard, son. And Or we, we, don't, we don't always know what we're doing to our kids as we're doing it to them. But some people also grow up um, 
in in a situation where they don't have a healthier version or an identity. They didn't they didn't have a an icon or a mentor that could come in like you had. How do we so how do we know where to hang that star or where to hang yeah. our goal? That's a great question. Today there are, there are no excuses. You can blame your parents, which you know is true, but there's no excuses going forward because you can Google anything you want. Google success principles. You can model people that you never even meet by reading their books or by following on, you know, radio, podcasts, what have you. There's no more excuses. You can transform yourself. But the problem, Matt, is that environment is stronger than willpower. So, you know, you can take the guy out of the Bronx, but the Bronx stays within the person until that new environment is sufficiently supportive. And that's the biggest work that I have today is to create environments and ecosystems that help people change. Think of somebody who loses 100 pounds or 50 pounds. They're still fat in their mind for years sometimes. Mm. A woman that's raped, she still identifies with that decades later, even though the event is over. So there's some work that has to be done, but what I would think that people should realize is get yourself into an environment around a professional to the information and start the transformation by first changing the words that follow I am. If you say I am broke, change it to I am attracting better and better opportunities to me every day and say it and start to believe it. And and then I guess and and train yourself up in it. So uh, we we talked a lot or over the years. We heard a lot about the secret where, you know, you could kind of project this identity you want out to the universe and then the universe would help you fulfill it. But you, you made a point earlier that you also have to – you have to do that, but you also have to be working towards it and creating the, creating the environment like you're saying and creating the systems and getting people around you that elevate you and help you lift your game. It, it's more than just the thought. Yeah, totally. So we are energy and we are frequency and vibrations. So you're not going to be comfortable at a frequency or vibration that you haven't been visiting for a while. So you've got to get used to it. It's one of the reasons that athletes will often get close to winning the Super Bowl or they get close to winning a trophy or something, and all of a sudden they go, oh, they couldn't handle the pressure. Because they get there in the old identity of saying, you know, you've never beaten this player. You've never hung on at this point of the game, starts to call their name. But once they start to flirt with it a few times, then they get ready to handle it. The same thing happens with the level of passion in your life, the level of money, the level of comfort with other people. So you want to start to move into the environment. You want to start to visualize it, like you said, to visualize the identity going forward and surround yourself with people that can affirm it. The number one job of a coach or an athlete is not to tell them what to do, but to tell them how great they are. Because that, I guess, that facilitates the hope to keep going? It reaffirms the identity. So imagine Roger Federer is practicing, he gets a shot. The coach doesn't go, oh, you could have done better. He goes, that was awesome, Roger. Well done. Fantastic. I love the way you're moving. You know what, Roger? Why don't you just try it with dropping your hand just an inch more? Let's see what happens then. The same thing with Marilyn Monroe. She used to hide in her room. And you know what her team had to do? They had to come out to her and go, Marilyn, you're the best. You're awesome. Everybody's waiting for you. They love you. 
is to reaffirm, 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 reaffirm constantly. You get eternally and you have crew around you doing it. And when that happens, your confidence goes up. You get the results. And when you get the results, you go, oh, yeah, I am a badass. Oh, yeah, I am great. And then you start to act that way. I know it's kind of weird, but if your environment doesn't support you, few people can push through that and claim their new identity. It takes grit to do that. And many won't make it through. So good. Interesting, isn't it? How how really susceptible we really are to what's around us, to the people around us, and, and how important that makes the role of us as leaders and parents to to be careful what we're projecting on others. Um, as we wrap this up, I wanted to, to get your idea, Rock. What's the one thing, if there's one thing I could do today that would immediately um, help me, you know, go to the next level. Um, and, and is it just to ask myself the "I am" question, or what is the what is one thing I that every listener out there today could just do? The first step that would start to create yep. that change. So I'll do a quick exercise. It's kind of fun. Write down five to ten words that are the negative words you say to yourself, like "You're stupid," "You're a dope," "You're a bad learner," "You're terrible with money." And then as a fun exercise, go to three people that you love, tell them you need to do this exercise, and tell them the words you tell yourself. That means I would come up to you and I'd say, geez, you're stupid. You're terrible with money. You're awful with organization. And what this does is people won't speak to others the way they speak to themselves. And it'll create an awareness that you're beating yourself up. Everybody does it. And then... Take those words and upgrade them. If you say you're stupid, change it to, I'm an amazing student and I love to learn. I'm passionately curious, like Einstein was. Change the words of whatever is negative, upgrade them, and replace them. And you can transform your life without simple exercise. Mm. Basic, basic stuff. Good stuff. Rock, thank you so much. Again, Rock Thomas is his name, the power of your identity. And... Uh, and really, the I am movement. When you, when someone asks you, who are you? And you answer, I am. What's the next word that comes out of your mouth? And do you really believe it? At some point, we've got to start uh, being uh, the, the person we want to be. And really, I'd even say, take it even higher, be the person, you know, God needs you to be. Be the person that you have this, uh, that, that your heart inside you is telling you you should be and could be. You don't need to be the perfect person. You just need to You need to be the best you that you can possibly be. We'll continue discussing other ways to uh, lift your life straight ahead with a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, as I do uh, coaching with people day in, day out, it's it's really powerful, I think, to see what others are going through and to see this battle that we have with self-esteem and self-worth. There are a lot of other uh, ideas out in the world about how you build your self-worth. And in fact, today, in today's day and age, we hear a lot also about authenticity, that you have to be your authentic self. You you must be true to yourself. And uh, I think that's a great idea. I really do. In fact, um, I, I also, however, think it's not complete. Because just as we, we just learned from Rock Thomas, 
your identity of who you are is is not complete. Remember, your identity could have easily just simply have come from the fact that your mother or father, you know, told you that, oh, you are so beautiful. So then your identity becomes your look. Or your identity may have come from the fact that you work so hard. So hard work becomes uh, an essential part of your identity. But one of the things I have found is if your identity is not tied to a, a higher truth or a higher purpose or a higher order, then um, then you're just going to serve the whim of whatever your mind has made you out to be. If, you're, if your identity is about your looks, then you're going to be rock in this world f- easily till you're 45. <laughs> then when your looks start to slide as gravity pulls all of your looks toward your feet, um, the reality is you've probably lost a bit of who you are. And what you will then have to probably come to is this realization that you are not your looks. Uh, if, your, if your identity is about how much money you make, it's a great identity because, you know, you got to make money. You got you to gotta have a career that makes you a lot of money. But eventually you're going to find out that money can't buy everything as you're on your third marriage. At some point, you might need to find something else. So as as we talk about identity, can I just suggest that self-awareness is great. The more you understand yourself, I think, is awesome. Um, but I don't think it's complete. I have found in my world and in my life, the best place for me to go um, to to actually create and forge my identity are two places. One is to kind of look more heavenward to something bigger than me. And for you, whatever that can be for you, for me, it's to to look to my my God. Uh, for you, it could be just, you know, what is right, a higher power, you know, the law of the universe, whatever is a higher power for you. But the second way I found to work on my identity isn't actually to go into myself as much, but actually to get out of myself and work on with someone else and and lose myself in in the benefit of someone else. I've never known more about my strengths and weaknesses than simply trying to be a husband or a father. And that actually helps me become more and, and understand more of who I am. I've never felt better about myself than when I'm being a really healthy father or husband or servant in the world, right? And um, and what I found a lot of times is when we spend too much time with our arrows inward, trying to work on who we are, um, and we're you know trying to perfect ourselves, trying to do all of these things inwardly. I've noticed my arrows aren't pointed outwardly, and if I'm not pointing my arrows out, then I'm probably also not. I'm not exercising my gifts. I'm not sharing my abilities. I'm not lifting other humans on this earth. And I end up um, feeling less than. I think there is a reason why there's a tie between anxiety and depression, because anxiety makes me not want to perform my highest works. And then when I don't, I get depressed. And then when I'm depressed, I'm more fearful about performing my highest works. And then that drives anxiety. And then that makes me not do it. And then I get depressed. So I believe a lot of our mental health issues could go away if we could have a deep connection to a higher purpose and a deep connection to serving and bringing that higher purpose to everyone else in the world around us. 
basic ideas, right? This is just basic. But I found my esteem uh, improves dramatically and my identity of who I am improves dramatically when I recognize that no matter what, who I am is always in relation to a higher power, purpose, a God in my world, and to the people around me in my relationship to them. That's who I am. If we work just on you and who you are and you try to figure it out without a higher purpose, a God, or without the people around you, I think you've, you've kind of cut, cut the baby in half. You've just killed half of the game. And it's not going to serve you. It won't serve you. And it won't help you to actually know who you are because you can't be somebody that's not in relation to a higher purpose and um, a higher uh, – and, and the ability to connect and to relate to others. I just think it, it will make half of the person that you are. And I think in the end, you'll struggle. That's just – that's just my take. doesn't mean I'm right. But it, it feels real to me. And so when I coach people, the fastest way to kind of get out of yourself is direct your arrows out. Let's start worrying about someone else today. Let's start serving somebody. Now, you can go too far and lose yourself um, and not be healthy. And But again, I don't think your God wants you to work so hard that you're killing yourself. And I don't think that uh, your neighbors and friends and people you love want you to do that either. So in, in reality, it's the relationships that matter. We'll continue the journey. More fun straight ahead. We'll be talking, uh, giving some more advice about counseling your children on their career up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, recently, we had Jim Citron on the show. He's the author of the book, The Career Playbook, uh, Essential Advice for Today's Aspiring Young Professionals. And uh, we, we like to, to revisit some of these interviews to give you as parents the tools you need to help your kids figure out uh, and guide them toward a career and the career decisions. In this section that we'll be reviewing right now, uh, Jim Citron shares three forces on a career um, that are the key factors that the young people use to make their decisions. There are three forces at work in careers that are constantly at war with one another. Hmm. You have to understand those and then be conscious about what trade-offs you're going to make. And those three forces are job satisfaction, money, and lifestyle. Think about that. It's, it's relatively easy to optimize for the quality of work you're doing, whether it's something mission-driven. Again, BYU obviously has all about mission and yeah, purpose. Yeah, There's purpose, but you can find that in a, in a company situation and other kinds of roles where it's about learning, contribution, impact, the amount of the, the brands that you're associated with, the people that you're working with, all the good parts about having a role that is fundamentally important and you have high job satisfaction. Yeah. So that's one part. Two, though, is money. Sometimes there are very big trade-offs. It's like, okay, well, I could do something I love and not make a lot of money, or I could do something yeah, right. and sell out and make a lot of money, but am I willing to work in something that is either not making the world a better place or something I'm actually not that interested in or in a culture that's toxic or super competitive or something like that. But yeah. there's often a war there. But then the third factor, sometimes you can find both, but then the third factor usually slides, which is lifestyle. Okay, you, you're passionate about the law and you're working for a great law firm, but, and you're, you're making a lot of money. 
oh, yeah, but you have to work 100 hours a week. Right. And, okay, you have to go serve on these out-of-town things. Or if you're working in management consulting or lots of – the gov- you can work on lots of important things and be passionate about it and have a decent lifestyle. Oh, but you don't get to make any money. So Yeah, or it's not conducive that. to family or it's not – yeah, yeah. And so that's a that, so that that's like a Venn diagram is how I see that. Is I mean, it's like now all of a sudden you've got job satisfaction, money, and lifestyle, and there's got to there's going to be a give and a take, or like you say, a war between those three areas. So the the advice that a parent can say is is Jane, John, understand that there are the that there are these three forces at work. I call it the career triangle in the book, but a Venn diagram is fine. Oh yeah. Recognize that you can have it all. But you can't necessarily have it all at the same point in time. Mm-hmm. And recognize that if you're in your 20s, maybe it's the time to invest in your learning and, and not worry so much about the money. Or if you've got $30,000 of student loans, which many American students have, and they have to fight off, they actually have to have jobs that will pay. And if they can work on things that are really meaningful – they might have to say, okay, well, for the next five years, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to work, you know, weekends or whatever it takes to do that. And recognizing that when you're in your 30s or if you're, if you're at a place where you have young kids or trying to do that, then you can trade off. Giving someone the knowledge that those three things exist and that you can actually make conscious decisions turns out oh. to be enormously power, empowering yeah. for young people. So much more powerful than uh, maybe trying to, you know, force an You need to be a doctor. When we're talking to our children about future careers, you know, and being able to be dynamic enough to make it through, you know, 10 or 20 companies potentially. So what I want to do is mention something that I would put as strategic and then get really tactical and give parents some specific advice you can give kids or if any young people are listening now, what are the two most important concrete things you could do tomorrow? So first, the strategic, to put this context, something you, Matt, have written about, talked about, are expert about, and that is relationships. And I have seen over many years, and I've seen this and I've proven it, and it is absolutely the case that relationships power careers. Mm. Relationships power getting good jobs, relationships power being successful in your job, and relationships power being happy in your job and therefore in life. And yeah. I know you've written about yeah, this. that's powerful though, isn't it? it re- having a relationship mindset is really important. And what that means is that every young person who's thinking about their career hears the advice, oh, you need to network, network, mm-hmm. network, network. And, and I actually am not a fan of the concept of networking because to me that connotes a, you know, take advantage of somebody or be, uh, take, take, develop relationships only for your benefit. I am much more in the give and take kind of relationships. And because having an attitude of abundance and the more that you give away, the more that you can look to help others, the more that it comes back to yeah. you. And again, that sounds nice, but a young person thinks like, well, okay, that's nice. When I get a big job, I'm happy to, uh, <laughs> to help others. Right. But it actually is important right from thinking about what is out there possibly and using good personality and using politeness and using uh, proactive skills to get into discussions, asking for advice, 
offering ideas and having a relationship mindset is really, really I love critical. that idea. I really do. How do how so so what would you suggest that I'm telling my 20-year-old or my 23-year-old to make sure that they're engaging in relationships now and they're learning those skills? Number 1, never ask someone for a job. Ask someone for advice. People love to give advice. And if you're polite and you're persistent and you're creative, you can get yeah. people are more connected than they think. Right. And just because your parent isn't a Fortune 500 CEO or some big, big muckety muck out in the world through your university, through your uh, through LinkedIn, yeah. there are other ways to get an audience with someone if you're creative and persistent. So get getting and getting a dialogue going, asking for advice, and then here's now, uh, here's, here's now a really tactical, important thing to say. Yeah, just so you know, we've got about a minute and a half is all we've got left. Right, okay. perfect. Have an elevator speech. Have, have the answer to the question, so Matt, what do you want to do? Huh. And each person, whether you're 25 or 55, needs to be able to say in two sentences, what they want to do and why. And I'll give an example. And that's what powers the relationships to actually get the referrals that actually lead to the jobs. So I am passionate about the environment. Therefore, I want to work in a not-for-profit dedicated to combating global warming. Hmm. I've always been passionate about the stock market. So I want to find a job in investing. I'm interested in the political system. So I'm looking to get a congressional internship. One sentence about what you're interested in, linking to one thing you want to do. And that little nugget giving to someone can then say, oh, I just met this great young person named Matt Townsend yeah. who's interested in the environment. And That's he's interested in your, in, in your global warming uh, yeah. uh, not-for-profit. That's how it works. Fifty percent of the research uh, of our grads surveyed got their jobs through referrals. And that's true all the way up to the CEO level. And it's so, so true because so many times you'll just ask them, so what, what are you thinking of doing? And they're like, blah, blah, exactly. blah. They don't want, they don't know how to articulate that. Yeah. So if there's one thing you can tell that's your brilliant. listeners, can tell their kids, have a two sentence answer to the question, what do you want to do? Rehearse it in front of the mirror and have it come off your tongue instantly and you plant that seed with everybody you talk to, and you'll be shocked yeah. how quickly things come around. Good stuff. Uh, again, that was Jim Citrin, who uh, doing what he can to help us with our kids. The book is called The Career Playbook, Essential Advice for Today's Aspiring Young Professionals. And uh, speaking of aspiring young professionals, it's time now My to turn the show. ears are burning. Wow. Thank you for the young, by the way. I don't feel young, but now I do. No, yeah, very young, very, very young. I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> We're turning the show, uh, the reins over now to Jeffrey Liam Simpson as he is uh, next hour going to be doing screen cleaning, his movie slash media show. This is exciting because this is part two of a show we started last week in which we did our sports movie March Madness Bracket. And the two films that made it to the to the final four are Field of Dreams and The Mighty Ducks, if you can believe Holy it or not. Cow. So now we're doing the other bracket, the other side of the bracket. And just like last week, I think we're going to ruffle a lot of feathers today. What's up with you, you little feather We're ruffler. breaking brackets, we're ruffling feathers, but most importantly, we're zeroing in today on the best 
sports movie. I wouldn't say all time, but no. definitely this year because there's always next year, right? That's so good. Jeff Simpson straight ahead on screen cleaning. I'm out. I'm out for all of next week, but uh, stick with us because we're doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Good morning. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. We are on part two of our March Madness sports movie bracket that uh, is ruffling some feathers. But uh, we're going to decide once and for all which sports movie is, I'm not going to say the greatest sports movie of all time, because from year to year, opinions change, different teams make it into sports brackets, so why couldn't different movies make it into on a sports movie bracket. So we're going to give you the best sports movie of this year. And just to recap real quick, what happened last week, we started off with 16 films in the first round, and we're down to two. And those two films are, not surprisingly for this first one, Field of Dreams. I think a lot of people could belong that Field of Dreams, or uh, agree that uh, Field of Dreams belongs in the final four. But the big dark horse pick that made it into the final four that beat the likes of films like uh, we've got Hoosiers lost, The Sandlot is out, Coach Carter is out, Teen Wolf, not a surprise, but it's out. Mighty Ducks has moved on to the final four, much to Sean O'Neill's chagrin, I might add. And there's going to be a lot of chagrin on the show, I'm guessing, today, because I feel like the films we're going to be covering today are even heavy, heavier hitters than last week. Okay. Nobody agrees with me on that one? No. Oh, wow. Oh, I do. I'm ready for this. Okay. Cole's excited because one of his hometown films is going to be very heavily featured on the show, I would assume. The four categories we're covering today in this second bracket are football, documentaries, Fighting and miscellaneous. That's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most because there are going to be a couple of films that probably don't belong on the list of greatest sports movie ever, but they're going to move on in Just the bracket Just because their sports don't conform to your preconceived notions of what a sport should be, Jeffrey, does not mean don't that they me aren't wrong. great sports movies. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to be voting for said films. Okay. Because you have no other choice. They're in a bracket all to themselves. No, I genuinely do like those movies. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's stop being ambiguous and get on to the specifics. Let's start off with a category that I'm sure very many people are passionate about, and that is football. This team is your family, Michael. You have to protect them from those guys, okay? I'm Dick Vermeil. That's Papali. I would be honored if you play football for this team. Me? Play football? Yes. I love football. I love everything about it. I love Friday nights when you're looking for a win and Saturday morning when you found one. And those are just a few of our honorable mentions from the football category. The Blind Side, The Water Boy, and Radio. And Invincible was in there. He had Dick Vermeil introducing himself to the star of the Philadelphia-themed movie. Um... Uh, Vince Papali, Mark Wahlberg. Yep. (laughs) Well, I am super excited because a couple of these films people are very passionate about, I know. And the first two films, well, I'll I'll just list the four. We've got Rudy matching up against We Are Marshall. 
Remember the Titans matching up against Friday Night Lights. Interesting note about these films. Hmm. They are all based on true stories, each and every one of them. And they have all taken creative license. That is based, (laughs) yes. I I find it funny that that, uh, some of my fellow critics criticize movies when they they get things wrong from history. And I'm thinking – you know what? It's a movie, folks. Right. And documentaries it's, is going to be a whole different category exactly, that we tackle later yes. on. But but people These complain about about things, you know, that oh well, that wasn't that wasn't correct in this movie because this happened here and this happened here. Well, it's a fictional portrayal of the story. Come right. On. And I mean, any storyteller is going to spice things up a little bit, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Another interesting thing that cropped up in these four football movies, they're all about either high school or college football. Yeah, no um, pro. No there pro. Were, there were a lot of either mm-hmm. pro football movies or a bunch of lonely adults getting together to form ragtag football groups uh, that did not make the cut. I'm going to say, why didn't Wildcats make the cut? <laughs> Wildcats? I don't think I'm familiar with that. Goldie too. Hawn coaching a high school oh, football team? right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, let's just jump right into it. We've First, we've got Rudy and We Are Marshall squaring off against one another. Uh, I'm going to guess – so first of all, Rudy, the story of Rudy – well, I, I'm not going to give you his – no, that's not part of the trivia. Rudy Rudiger, yep. who uh, – it's his lifelong dream to play for Notre Dame or right. Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. Spends the entire film – uh, you know, trying to reach that point, and he finally attains his dream. So this is a story that's very personal for a lot of people because it's a story about achieving your dreams and working hard to get there. Yes. It's squaring off against We Are Marshall, a very tragic story Oh yeah, where uh, this entire football team is wiped out in a plane crash. And so Matthew McConaughey's character has to come in and put together a whole entire different team. A lot of people are not interested in putting together a team right. as a way of honoring the team that exactly. has fallen. They think, well, th- that should that should be the end, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so he's 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 got a job that not a lot of people would envy. No, not and at all. not an easy job at all. Two, in my opinion, very good films. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and cast my vote though for what? What is it? John? I'm just waiting. Oh, okay, I'm waiting. I'm going to cast my vote for. You know, now your hesitancy or your anticipation not... of my vote has made me second guess myself. Why? So I'm going to make you vote first. I'm getting. Okay. I'm reading the story. I think Sean's getting ready to cheer for you. Okay. Just go ahead and say it. Spit it out. Jeff. I don't want to. I'm I want not to. No, you guys I'm interested in seeing which one he chooses. I'm not ready to cheer. Okay, for I one. will say Rudy. Someone's got to make the first choice. Rudy, Rudy is right. the better movie. I'm going with Rudy. Okay. Do we have a, a, a sound queued up for when we're, we've unanimously? It only happened once voted. last time during the first round, and yes, I do. I well, too. We should just be chanting. Rudy, Rudy, what, Rudy, 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 Rudy. Okay, so we're unanimous on Rudy. However, I will say We Are Marshall is definitely a film oh, you should good. take it's another look at. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's unique in a sports movie because or for a, a sports movie because unlike most sports movies where they're winning the whole time, teams that they probably shouldn't be winning. We are Marshall. I mean, especially movies that aren't based on a true story. Right. Or movies but, that aren't comedies, because it's always funny to laugh at yeah. a team losing. In We Are Marshall, the focus isn't on winning. It's on rebuilding. And they do a great job of it in the movie. And they do win a, fu- a film, finally. And, and, in fact, here's the trivia question. 
The herd's first post-crash victory is a 15-13 win against this university in the first home game of the season. Oh. I would be surprised if you knew it. So I'll guess maybe West Virginia. I know that's an actual rival of Marshall that they normally play every year. Xavier University. Xavier, Which okay. doesn't have yeah. a football team anymore, speaking oh. of teams. That... <laughs> Jeez. All right. Okay, so Rudy is moving on to the next round. Next. The next two films that, were, that are going head-to-head against one another, Remember the Titans and Friday Night Lights. I, uh, okay. Remember the Titans. This is about a team that – oh, I can't say it because it's it's the trivia question in case well, it does lose. A, a very winning ooh. team, let's just say. Okay. The very, name of the coach? That's not, that's the, not the trivia question. Herman Boone, Denzel Den- Washington. Denzel Washington, Okay, yes. so I'm glad those aren't the trivia questions. A very winning team, let's just say. Yes. Um, and – They're kind of forced to take on a new coach? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Remember the tight no uh Friday Night Lights also as we said based on a true story. Uh the coach is portrayed by Billy Bob Thornton and it's in a town mm-hmm. where I mean a lot of these so towns So this is the movie not the TV show. Right. <laughs> okay. A lot of these towns like football is everything. It means so, everything for them. James Vanderbeek. No, 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 not that's, James. Uh, James that's Vanderbeek? Varsity Blues. That's Varsity Blues. Yeah, so sorry. So Friday Night Lights is I what I enjoy about this film is the the football players are not cast or they're not casted by they're not being portrayed not by actors, actors that are yeah they're just okay. kind of people that look like they would just be everyday football high school football high players school, yeah yeah players um I am going to choose Remember the Titans now having said that I I'm not going to say Remember the Titans is a perfect film I will. It's a little cheesy in my <laughs> my opinion. But Gee, I wonder what won already. The reason I'm saying uh, Remember the Titans is because Friday Night Lights for me is kind of a downer. I don't remember watching this film and cheering for any one of the players. I'm not cheering for the coach. I don't think there's a single likable person in the entire film. There are maybe a couple of characters you sympathize with, mm-hmm. but I just didn't care for any of the characters. For, okay, so uh, play the sound effect. Because we are unanimous once again. Um, for me, Remember the Titans is the better movie because of the kid actor who plays the coach's daughter, who is just so involved with football. And the it whole is thing is told incredible. from Hayden Pantier's like point of exactly. she's our entry point character, yeah. and she's just a side. That's from the best the, character Hayden yeah. Pantier has ever has ever <laughs> done, and her and her. Her um, interactions with Denzel Washington are just <laughs> fantastic. All right. So there were a number of trivia questions I could have used. Oh, no, no. That was for Remember the Titans. Maybe we, we won't even use that one. But for Friday Night, Night, Friday Night Lights, what was the method used to break the three-way tie for first place? They flipped a coin? Flipped a coin. That is correct, Sean O'Neill. Well done. It's true to life. Yeah, it is. How do you do that with three th- with three people with three teams though? Break out that three sided coin. Two sides to right. the no. coin. Can, can I plug how amazing Remember the Titans is just a little bit? I mean, we admit that I am voting for it, and yes. Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. gets a great consolation prize because they had a fantastic one of the best TV shows of all time. Um, the emergence of Michael B. Jordan over there and yeah. and Taylor Kitsch and some great acting over on the TV side. But movie wise, Jesse Plemons. Remember the Titans. 
is going to be the film that I root f- that I'm voting for for at least a few rounds here because Whoa. it is one of my favorite sports movies. It does what Hoosiers can't in that it actually makes the players the important part of the story. So this is another hmm. story. It's another mm-hmm. story that's told about the coach. It's the coach well, coming in and being a new coach and being unliked. Yeah, but, but it he's... actually makes the players characters and exactly. gives them personality and gives them conflict that they have to work through. Well, that's because not only are there is there a new coach in Remember the Titans, but that new coach brings players into the team From two different teams exactly has, they have to coalesce they yes. have to become one it is and in the next round i'll tell you more about why it's a okay. perfect movie. so the reason you voted for remember the titans is the same reason i didn't vote for friday night lights the characters yes all okay. right so in our next category let's hear the let's hear our sounder for documentaries what if i told you the reason we're here, y'all, is not just to win football games, but to reach your hearts through something you love. It was Dogtown, and Dogtown was a place where you had to have eyes in the back of your head. There wouldn't be any X Games if it wasn't for that whole scene. I've done something new for this fight. I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> Thank you for putting in that Muhammad Ali clip there. That was from When We Were Kings. When We Were Kings. Fantastic the, documentary. The Academy Award winning mm-hmm. documentary, which unfortunately is not on our list of four documentaries for today. These documentaries that are in the bracket are Hoop Dreams. I think a lot of people would include Hoop Dreams on a the famous documentaries bracket. Mm-hmm. Regardless of sports or not, it's – it's a document. It's a right. great documentary. A film I am very passionate about, but probably very few people have heard of, The King of Kong. Yep. We have O.J. Made in America and Pumping Iron. So this is going to be a very Arnold. interesting category, although I'm sure I already know which two films are going to move on to the next bracket. Let's start off with Hoop Dreams and The King of Kong. All right. Um can I just put in a plug before we start ranting and raving about Hoop Dreams? You can defend your movie, Jeff. Go ahead. You, you let me many times last week defend movies that were not as good as the ones they were going up against. The now King it's your of, turn. The King of Kong, it's definitely one of the more unique films on this bracket. It uh, portrays – it tells the story of two video gamers – Mm-hmm. who are facing off against one another to try to one-up each other on the greatest score ever for the arcade game Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. This is the most entertaining documentary I believe I've ever seen. It's short. I think it's less than an hour and a half. Um, it's directed by a famous comedy director. So there there are humorous elements in the film, and there are actually other video games that creep up in the film. It is so entertaining. And how do you how do you create this less than hour and a half uh, minute documentary involving arcade games and still be able to create characters that you genuinely care for? There's the the kind of the the reigning champion who's got like the the eighties long hair still, and he's kind of portrayed as this rock star in the movie. He, he is a goof. And then there's this there's this everyday humble nice guy dad who I believe like the day that he signs the papers for his new house he loses his job. Yes, you really feel for this guy exactly. And he's not he's not pompous. He's he doesn't brag like this other guy does. He's just a humble guy, and you really root for him. Uh, the King of Kong. I am actually. 
going to ruffle some feathers. And I, just for the sake of ruffling feathers, I'm going to vote for the King of Kong to move on to the next round of our March movie or March Madness movie bracket. The King of Kong. I think I have a, an idea where Cole's going with this one. Oh, sure. So yeah. uh, Hoop Dreams, just like you were obligated to root for Hoosiers last week, even if it's not a totally perfect movie and might not hold up perfectly. Hoop Dreams really is a Citizen Kane of of sports documentaries. It is the one that is put on the pedestal. I'm glad you brought up the length of King of Kong being under an hour and a half. Hoop Dreams was intended to just be about a half hour short about how these guys were preparing to get to the NBA as kids. Really? I yeah, but it ends that. up being three and hours. And then he ends yeah. up having... But, and it's three hours out of... Over 250 hours of footage that they shot to get it all together. It's a documentary that won an Oscar for best film editing because they took all of this, honed it into an actual story, got it into three, got it in under three hours, and and it's remarkable. And it's it's a compelling story of two children. It's a story about race relations and class in America. It tells everything through a frame of sports in just an amazing amazing way. And really one of the more realistic, I mean obviously it's a documentary, documentary so it 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 reminds you that things don't always have the happiest of endings or and that's things, the amazing thing so watching right? it for the first time you gen when the the one kid's getting ready to shoot some free throws to send his team to state it's real you you can't tell narratively if the director was going to just choose to have them win or lose this right. is real life and he misses both free throws and mm. they don't go to state and he gets injured the next year and his mm-hmm. hoop dreams are dashed and it's it's just it comes at you. It's so good. By the way, if you do any follow up on some of the characters portrayed in the film, some of their families. Uh, oh, it's uh, so sad. They they lose family members who are murdered and attempted yeah. thefts. It's, sure, these are these are real people with serious problems. Um, but you know, we don't have to feel too bad for them. They were portrayed in this film, and they went on to have good lives despite some mm-hmm. of their circumstances. And I think that's one of the happier endings of the film is that, you know, they didn't make the sport their lives. They went on and, and had other careers, and I think that is an important message in some of these sport films that we don't often see, like Friday Night Lights, that was their life, was football. There was nothing exactly. outside of that. Yeah. If I don't attain this, there's nothing else <clears throat> mm-hmm. for me. But so. it looks like um, we got a split vote so far. <gasps> it's one and one. So okay. I get to be the deciding vote here. I think I know what you're going to do. You do? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, but I'm anxious to hear what you say. Well, okay, I have not seen either of these movies all the way through. It's a commitment for Hoop Dreams, for sure. Yeah, I understand that. Um, so basically what I did is I tried to watch, because I know I didn't have time, Okay. first of all. So I watched the first bit of each movie, and I have to say there was one movie that drew me in a lot closer and made me more interested than the other one um, did within the first few minutes. Um, I'm talking about about half an hour of each one. Actually. Okay, okay. Um, and so I have to say that um, I'm picking King of Kong. <gasps> Sean O'Neill, the ruffle or the feather ruffler of the century. Wow. If a 16 seed can beat a 1 seed in the real NCAA tournament, I guess <laughs> that a video game wow. movie can beat Hoop Dreams in a sports movie's bracket. It, in my opinion, 
Like I said, this is the most entertaining documentary it I've is. ever seen. I, I was so entertained by this. It was it was fantastic, and it's it, it's it's got to be what what was it? Where was it? When was it made? In like ninety two or something? Um, I, I want to say it, it right was here. early two thousands. But it, it has in an hour and a half. You have these characters two thousand seven actually. You care deeply for and you're rooting for I, every time i see commercials nowadays for these video game competitions oh, i'm thinking oh my goodness this is, that that's is... nothing like what what was going on before right i and I, the, the oh. passion that these guys had was incredible mm-hmm. so i don't i didn't i didn't feel the passion of the kids as it, I, I, and i'm sure it comes Hoop later in the is a slow burn yeah if you're it only sure going to watch a half yeah. hour i can I, understand yeah that's okay Wow. But still, as a movie maker, you should still draw me in I can't, quicker, I think. I, I can't tell you how excited I am right now. There's hope for King of Kong. Oh, by the way, we'll the, see about that. The trivia question for Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams. The NB I want you to name the NBA Do I have to sing the song? <laughs> no, no. Hoop Dreams. Uh, the NBA star mentioned throughout the film that attended St. Joseph High School, one of the central schools in the film. Isaiah Thomas. Yes. Very good. Well done. In fact, that was that was one of the parts that I still remember is the the kid driving to the school with the the scout, mm-hmm. so to speak. That that scout was a little weird to me too. <laughs> but uh, true to life, but, sometimes but the the filmmaker in the back of the car asked, "So what if Isaiah's there at the school?" Mm. And then he and is. Then he was there. <laughs> that is awesome. It's almost like they planned it. I know. No, it's all right. You should still see Hoop Dreams, though. Very, oh, very yeah, good I, film. I, I need to watch the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. Our next two films, OJ, Made in America, OJ. is squaring off against Pumping Iron. <laughs> if you didn't have three hours to vote to devote to Hoop Dreams, you probably didn't have five and a half hours to devote to the no, five-part right. documentary no, no. series, OJ, OJ Made in America. OJ Made in America, the film that required a change in the rules at the Academy Awards when it comes to uh, the best documentary because it did win the Academy Award for best documentary. But it was a five-part series that they released very briefly and in very few theaters. May have just been one theater in order to become eligible for the Academy Award. Mm-hmm. So is that this, that's ruffled. an ESPN. Is it an ESPN thing, or are they just sponsoring? It is. Yeah. So it's an ESPN thirty for thirty. The very first little 30 sound for 30 that's five hours long. In the first sound in my oh, little sound there was the thirty for thirty like bit. The you know da 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 da. Because there are thirty different thirty for thirties that we oh, could yeah. have put on this list. This is the one representative, and it's it's very presence in the best. Uh, documentary feature film what did ruffle a lot of feathers a lot of people were not happy now, that it was in there but this is not the made for tv no things people Thank might you for, people might mix yes. that up yeah that's the fx series starring cuba, cuba gooding, gooding jr. jr this is yes. the documentary starring actual oj mm-hmm. simpson right and i am going to say uh Although I am voting for O.J. Made in America, I would like to go on record by saying I don't necessarily feel like this is a true sports documentary. Um, I'd say two of the five parts are very sportsy. And in fact, um, I actually didn't get start – I didn't start getting drawn into it until later on in the documentary. Um, I know that why they put certain aspects – in there, like they, they focus a lot on the Rodney King beating. They focus mm-hmm. a lot 
on uh, other prominent shootings in the African American community. Setting the stage community. in L.A., the right. kind of community he was growing up in. I would have liked to have seen less time spent on that and more focus on O.J. in those earlier episodes. Having said that, I am voting for it because um, I, I did feel like it drew me in more than Pumping Iron. But I was still entertained by Pumping Iron, especially some of the key players that showed up in the documentary like, hey – there's so-and-so, and I don't want to say who it is because it may or may not come up in a trivia question here in a second. My vote is being cast for O.J. Made in America. I'm obviously rooting for the 30 for 30 O.J. Of course. Sean, is it going to oh, be unanimous? Well, no, it's not. Really? <laughs> You're going with pumping iron. Yes, I am. And why? Because of its history. Okay. More than anything else. Um, I, I. It's just like it, – I think it's because it's been around so long and you can see where the people have gone from that movie yes. on to do different things and stuff. And it's just – I just – I just, I don't know. I find it I find it a fascinating movie about a, a sport that I know nothing about, nothing whatsoever. That's true. Bodybuilding yeah. is a little on the fringes. Yes. I do like that it was on the list though. We tried to give, to give you some that uh, are a little unusual or a little mm-hmm. different. Um, Okay, and I do recall while watching that, I was like, this guy is an absolute beast. I had no idea he was that strong. I knew he was strong, but I had no idea until I saw him posing and flexing those muscles. He's also a bit cocky, but you can't deny that he's a charming guy. We're talking about, of course, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the trivia question for Pumping Iron before we go to break, future Bruce Banner appeared as a contestant in Mr. Olympia. Name the bodybuilder slash actor. Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Lou Ferrigno. And not so much Bruce Banner. He was cast because he is a real-life Incredible Hulk at 6'5 and 270. Exactly. Right. And, in fact, while watching the film, I didn't think I could see anybody that looked like more of a beast than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then Lou Ferrigno, Lou Ferrigno took steps up, up the like, whole screen. He's even bigger. And I love it's the, incredible. They introduce yeah. – I mean, the documentary is filmed really well. Uh, they introduce everyone. They kind of say, here comes, you know, like I said, Lou Ferrigno, 6'5, 270, as they're, like, telling his backstory. And I was sitting there um, on my couch eating potato chips, 5'7", 115 of me, watching all of these bodybuilders. Oh, God. Okay, so we need to go to break. But the four films that are moving on are Rudy, Remember the Titans, The King of Kong, and O.J. Made in America. And we'll get to our next two brackets when we return here on Screen Cleaning. This is a 90-second movie review for the film Ready Player One on BYU Radio. Ready Player One is the latest film from Steven Spielberg. This time around, Spielberg has adapted Ernest Cline's novel into a visually stimulating adventure. Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, is a downtrodden young man living in the stacks of Columbus, Ohio in the year 2045. Yeah, this is another teen dystopian film. Fortunately, Spielberg uses that as just a background to show this wonderful story to his audience. He uses color and CGI effects to make the virtual reality world of Oasis. That's where the majority of society resides and lives emotionally. The story is asking, are we too involved in our fantasies to realize what we're missing in the real world? The public is absorbed by the game due to the mysterious Easter egg its creator has placed in it for one person to find and then own the Oasis. 
and that's why everyone wants to be there, including the bad guy corporation trying to stop the hero. There are so many references to video games and characters from the 80s, you can't see them all. This was the treasure of this film, since I am a product of the 80s myself. Ready Player One garners its PG-13 rating from the violence in the film. The vast majority of the violence takes place in virtual reality, and though people can zero out, they do not die in the real world. There are scenes recreated from The Shining that could be seen as disturbing, including a river of blood and a nude woman. She is strategically hidden. A character is kidnapped, and there is a vast battle and huge explosion in the game. Ready Player One was exciting and a thrill for me to watch. I'm giving it an A grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Oh, don't hit back. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, he's true. I am Nacho, the luchador. They're already calling your bot the people's champion. Max, what do you say to that? People's champion? Sounds pretty good to me. And those are some of our honorable mentions from wow. the fighting region in our March Madness bracket, which we're going to now. Welcome. Thank, thank you. Yes. Thank you for putting real steel in there. That was one we considered is, putting on the bracket. That is one of the better Hugh Jackman movies, I think. Wow. And it follows a great sports movie narrative of the young kid. Yeah, it's, it's Rocky and, with robots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going to the you. old mentor. And thank you for putting Nacho Libre in there as well. There's all kinds of fighting. I want my stretchy pants. There was also <laughs> another Rocky Balboa movie in there. And or is that Creed? Again, this was from Rocky Balboa, Rocky oh. Six. Oh, okay. If I had my way and had to fill up four spots of four fighting movies, it would go Rocky, Creed, Rocky Three, and then Rocky Two. Wow. But that's just me. So okay. For me, I would be, I'd, I'd have Rocky Four in that list. You're that's a lot of favorite. Yeah. That's a favorite for a lot of people. Um, it's not those, none of those are on the list though, but one of those films is on the list and that's Rocky. Yep. Rocky's going to be going head to head with a another film that uh, a lot of people are very passionate about. I was surprised how many people had this film going on all the way to the end. Warrior. And aside from those, we've got Million Dollar Baby heading or uh, fighting against the Karate Kid. Another film people are very <laughs> passionate about. And uh, we'll see how those films turn out. But let's get to Rocky and Warrior first. <sighs> Can the Pennsylvania side of the room talk about why Rocky is the single greatest movie to have ever graced cinema? Who's more passionate about (laughs) Rocky than Cole Wissinger? (laughs) The the down on his luck, older, tough fighter goes up against the champion of the world, and he goes all 15 rounds with him. And even if he doesn't win the fight, he he wins himself. He realizes within himself that he wasn't just a bum from the streets of Philadelphia, that he had it inside of him the whole time. And Adrian sees it as well. And they come together and their relationship through the next few movies and his love for her, even after she passes, is a fantastic arc. And even after he goes and defeats communism and even after he raises a son that resents him and okay, even after wait, wait, he wait, raises wait. a... Wait, are we judging the movie or are we judging the franchise? Even in just Rocky One, the dialogue <laughs> is so perfect and real to life and and the fact that Sylvester Stallone just locked himself into a room over a weekend and pumped it all out and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the training that he went through and the establishment we're talking sports <laughs> movies last week yes. and this week and Rocky belongs 
in the final four at least, just for its contribution to the training montage that it gave, the gift that it gave to sports movies and the formula that other movies use to copy Rocky is is seen over and over in sports movies. It is the best. I'm, gr- I'm glad you brought up the dialogue because I too feel like that's one of the best parts of the movies. It's diff- It's a difficult task to pull off natural-sounding dialogue, and Rocky does it quite well. In fact, Sylvester Stallone was nominated for not only Best Actor, uh, and not only was the film nominated and won Best Picture, but he also got another Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay. So good for him. All right, let's get all of our Rocky impersonations out of the way. It's over, Rock! Nothing is over! Thank you, Burgess Meredith. Yes. Uh, also known oh, as the Penguin. Yeah, that's true. Also known as the narrator of the film The Twilight Zone, the yes, movie. Yes. Anyway, we're getting off course here. I'm voting for Rocky. Cole's voting for Rocky. Sean O'Neill? It's unanimous. Rocky. Okay, now I feel a little bad because we didn't even say one word about the film Warrior, which I actually feel is a very great film. I don't want one. Maybe not great. Let me step back. It's a very good film. It was also nominated for an Academy Award. And I that is actually the trivia question. Can you name the Academy Award for which it was nominated? Best Supporting Actor. And that was for? Uh, Was it Egerton or was it Hardy? Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. That's right. Nick Nolte, who is the alcoholic father of these two brothers who are fighting against each other in an ultimate fighting championship. So that's very unique. You don't have a lot Mm -hmm. of sports where you have two siblings going head to head. Right. One is a – You have Venus and Serena Williams. Yeah. One is a returning war vet. The other is a high school teacher. And they're they're competing for very different reasons. You definitely need to check out this film. As far as fighting and uh, uplifting films go, this is a very good one. So even though it's not moving on to the next round, you really ought to check out Warrior starring Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton, and the Academy Award nominated (laughs) Nick Nolte. Now, I I do have to say there is another honorable mention that should be thrown in here. Okay. Should have actually been in here. Cinderella Man. Oh, yes. That was another one we were considering. I tried to find a good clip. It, it was the fifth. It was the just left yeah. off the list. Ron um, Howard kind of thing. doing a – and um, oh, now the actor's name just But we also wanted to diversify head, the anyway. kinds of fighting. Karate Kid is coming up yeah, next with another boxing movie, Million Dollar Baby. We had MMA with Warrior. We couldn't have yes. three boxing movies. So. Now, I, I don't see a tally on Sean O'Neill's paper for this next bracket. I'm wondering if that's because he's – Undecided. I'm keeping a secret. Oh, all right. Well, maybe we should make you go first. <clears throat> oh, with a Million Dollar Baby and the Karate Kid? Yes. That's uh, by far n- not a, a, a difficult choice. Million Dollar Baby. Ooh. Just million, plain and simple. Million Dollar Baby, not based on a true story as far as no. I know. Well, neither is Karate Kid. <laughs> but starring Hilary Swank. And, and Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. best Actress winner Hillary Swank won the for Oscars this. for this. Yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, and did also did Eastwood win for? No, he was nominated for best actor, best he, director though. No, he didn't win for that. He did win best picture. Another one yes. of the Oscars went to finally in his first and only Oscar, Morgan Freeman for his role in this film. Yeah, a lot of people would argue maybe this isn't his lifetime best role. Yeah, lifetime achievement role, but uh, well deserved in my opinion. This is a very 
This is a tragic film, but it is a very good film. Another mm-hmm. film where Clint Eastwood pulls like quadruple duty where he not only acts, directs, but he wrote the music for this film. And uh, it's not a film you'll soon forget. And it might be a little heavy for most people. Oh, but Clint Eastwood did get best director for this movie. He won it. Yes, oh, good did. for him. Good, also well-deserved in my opinion. I'm also voting for Million Dollar Baby. I'm going to let Cole defend The Karate Kid, but before he does, I'm just going to say The Karate Kid is overrated, does not stand the test of time. I appreciate the uh, uplifting message and the crowd-pleasing factor of it, and I also appreciate the cast. Pat Morita, who got an Oscar nomination, Elizabeth Shue is in this, and I don't think we should neglect the fact that they're doing a reboot of this franchise via a YouTube original series. Yes. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. It looks entertaining. Cole, did you want to defend this film? I'm voting for it. I mean, okay. we don't have a lot of time, but Karate Kid deserves to be on here because it follows the sports movie track. You have a young kid seeking out the old veteran. He doesn't realize that he's training, mm-hmm. but he is training for the big match. They get him in, and he goes, and it comes down to the wire, and the crowning moment of awesome within the whole movie is in the sports thing. Yes. And he does the, the praying does the mantis move. thing, yeah. mm-hmm. and he wins the fight. Right. Okay. It's, it's very predictable. Million Dollar Baby, though, is moving on to the next bracket. I got to say, though, if you, have, if, you've, if you watched Karate Kid before, try and watch it as Barney from How I Met Your Mother watched it with Johnny being the hero. Instead Interesting. Of, instead, of, okay. <laughs> instead of the other way around. Okay. We've got uh, four – the last four new films in our miscellaneous category. It has been decided that a German national team will play a combined team from the prisoners of war of the occupied territories. That's crazy. This is it. This is our destiny. Devil or nothing, I can pick up that spare. I can. I, I think I can. <laughs> it's the do it. six, seven, ten. You'll pick up that spare the same day my hair starts falling out. Come on, let's get out of here. A true ping pong player must always be aware of his surroundings. <laughs> Miscellaneous sports really does include all the different sports. That we got ping pong and bowling and yep. yeah. yeah. Okay. So victory. Victory with soccer, another Sylvester Invictus. Stallone. That it is. And Invictus. then Invictus. Was Invictus on yes. Okay. Yes. Both. So the four films in the miscellaneous category, two of which I'm very excited about, Happy Gilmore is going against Bend It Like Beckham, and Dodgeball is going against Whip It. All right. Whoosh. Whip it good. All right. So let's start off with Happy Gilmore and Bend It Like Beckham. Golf and soccer. We don't have a lot of time. It's no question for me. This is a film that I've seen many, many times. And Bend It Like Beckham, of course. It still holds, it, <laughs> still holds up. It's one of the all-time great comedies in my eyes. And that's Happy Gilmore. You're getting my vote. Did the- your wife get you to watch Bend It Like Beckham this week? I watched it of my own accord <laughs> and uh, was bored. <laughs> Bored with Bendit like Beckham. But Happy Gilmore, of course, is the ex-hockey player or yeah. the the hockey player that was Wanna never be. was never successful that but converts turns into his a game. professional golfer. Right. And it's just so funny with a great uh cast of cameos. Oh yes. Which I'm sure we'll get into here in a minute. But my vote is for Happy Gilmore. Yeah, I mean Bob Barker should have won an Academy Award for yes. Best Supporting Actor. I have of to agree. <laughs> One of the great scenes agree. in any sports movie. Yes, yes. Oh, Bob Barker and Happy Gilmore fighting each other is just hilarious. Yes. I'm voting for Happy Gilmore. Sean? Really? Yes. Wow. Uh-oh. Happy Gilmore. 
Yeah. You're voting for Bend It Like Beckham. I am. All right. Okay. You can defend it. I like that movie a lot. I've seen Happy Gilmore. I've seen Bend It Like Beckham. And, and it's one of Keira Knightley's first movies. It's true. And I just love her, the way she, uh, it's just, to me, it was it was really, really good. Okay. So you're voting for Bend It Like Beckham, mm-hmm. but it's all for naught because true. Happy Gilmore is moving on to the next round. I'm so excited about that. Okay. Our next two films, I know Cole uh, was super excited about Whip It being on the list. I had never seen it before, but I have now. Cole, which one are you voting for out of these two very different films? <laughs> I will vote for Roller Derby over Dodgeball. Interesting. Any day of the week. Okay. I, Why? Whippet Whip it is a fantastic movie. It's it's a little direct. Like I think there's an issue if you don't if you're not like a young person that's a little angsty against their, your parents when you're first watching it. You mm-hmm. might be a little uh, jaded if you watch it for the first time as you're older. But for a young person to kind of like get all that angst out of there and to see it kind of get on the court of play in roller derby and just a lot of violence and fun in that and just the comedy elements that come with covering a weird miscellaneous kind of sport, I enjoy Whip It. Okay, I am voting for. Dodgeball. It's not my favorite sports comedy, but it does get some great chuckles out of me. And another uh, huge cast of cameos, including you've got to watch it for the uh, Lance Lance Armstrong Armstrong scene because it has a completely different meaning nowadays. But I'm voting for Dodgeball. For me, it's Jason Bateman. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if he can do it, Connor. (laughs) Cotton. 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 It's cotton, yeah. Yes. But he steals the show in all of his scenes. I'm voting for Dodgeball, one of the most fantastic comedic sports movies of all time. Jimmy Fallon. So you're you're praising the announcers in Dodgeball on ESPN The Ocho, which is fair. But Jimmy Fallon announcing Whip It is just as hilarious if you go back and watch it. I don't know. They have that same element going on. Anyway. I'm sorry. Ben Stiller... Cracks me up in this movie. He does. Yes. Okay. As, as does Vince Vaughn. We're going to put our uh, our trivia questions on hold. If we've got time, maybe we'll do it at the end. But for the sake of time, we need to burn through these real quick. So, and we're going to make it. It's going to be a difficult choice, I'm sure. But between Rudy and Remember the Titans, I want to know who you guys are voting for. And we have seconds. So, yeah, mine's not a secret. Remember the Titans is fantastic. Okay. Sean, Sean O'Neill. Uh, I'm just going to say Rudy. I'm also voting for Rudy. Lame. Rudy is moving on as no, well that is, as... that is a tough, tough vote Yes, for me. It is. It, it is. is. Now, between King of Kong and OJ made in America, what's it going to be? King of OJ. Kong. Oh, my gosh. Don't follow your heart, Jeffrey. Pick the better movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with King of Kong. I'm going with King of Kong. I don't I don't think OJ is a true sports movie. I'm going with King of Kong. Okay, between Rocky and Million Dollar Baby. Again, a very, very tough choice. Yes, but I know not it, for me. It's I know, Rocky. Well, you standing there in your <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirates jersey. Give me a break. <laughs> They're different sides of the state. Rocky <laughs> it's not guaranteed. still. Rocky for me is a, has, was always a very important part of my childhood. There's a whole franchise that's still going. I'm going with Rocky. Uh, I have to go with Rocky as well. Unanimous. Yes. Wow. Okay. Now, this one is not as difficult a decision for me between Happy Gilmore and Dodgeball. 
Happy Gilmore is the funnier film, in my opinion, and so it deserves to move on. Adam Sandler is funnier than Vince Vaughn. I will also vote for Happy Gilmore. Well, I'm an opposing vote. I'm going for Dodgeball, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Woohoo! Okay, now we need to narrow these down to two films, and it's between uh, uh, Rudy and King I've, of Kong. I've got my two already Rudy and King of Kong, and Rocky and Happy Gilmore. I'm voting for Rocky on the bottom half. How about Rocky. you guys? Yes. <laughs> you, you, have, you have to ask Cole. Rocky versus Happy Gilmore. Okay, since, since uh, well, Rocky will be uh, a unanimous vote. Yeah. And I'm going for the other R movie with Rudy for the other side. And I'll go with Rudy, I guess, too. My third or fourth favorite documentary out of that category goes up against it. It's an easy win. <laughs> okay. Okay. I uh, I'm still I'm still going to stick with King of Kong, but it doesn't matter because right. Rudy is drama on. is unnecessary. All right, now we have the difficult task before we go to Sports Nation very quickly to decide the final two films. Oh oh thank oh okay we are going to take a break though we are, because we are not going to be able to to catch up with BYU Sports Nation, but we are going to take a break and when we return we are going to. Figure out our final two, and then, ultimately, the Crown best sports champion. movie of the year. So let's do that. Let's take a break. When we return, we're, it's the moment you've been waiting for here on Screen Cleaning. All right, I just want to give you a few trivia questions that we didn't get to in this last uh, break here. But some of the films that, that lost out on moving on to the next bracket, Whip It, this is the directorial debut of one of the film's stars. And who is that? Drew Barrymore. Very good. Uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. We neglected to mention the subtitle. The name of the average Joe's coach. Oh, shoot. Patches O'Houlihan. That is correct also. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, this is another interesting one. Happy Gilmore. While paired up with Bob Barker in the celebrity match, Happy mistakes Bob Barker for the host of what game show? Wheel of Fortune? That is incorrect. Sean, you want to take a guess? I'm going to oh, guess Hollywood Squares. No, I do remember. It was, it's prices. Well, no. No, he's on prices. He is prices, right? right. Yeah. He said, I bet you get Shoot, that. Let's make a deal. That's correct. Yeah, that's I bet you right. get oh, that a lot on yeah. Let's Make a Deal. It's oh, the prices, okay. right? Happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the Karate Kid. Name the actor from another one of these films that we've been discussing today that starred in the next Karate Kid. Oh, that uh, was. Um, the yeah. sequels don't matter. <laughs> I, I understand that, but it's the it's uh, from Million Dollar Baby. She was the girl in the movie, and I cannot remember her name off the top of my head right now for some reason. The like Hillary Swank. Yes. Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank was the star of the next Karate Kid. She's yeah. got, Absolutely, she's got some fighting chops. How yes, about that? she does. Okay, I ooh, OJ Made in America, the spoof series OJ appeared in, mentioned in this film. Can anybody name? The spoof series that he was in? The Naked Gun Files from the Police Squad. Yep. Can anybody name his character's name in those films? Ooh, see, that's tougher. I don't think I can. Oh, I should know that. Nordberg. Nordberg, yeah. (laughs) And I would see, maybe some other year, I would love to see the the original film, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, (laughs) 
be oh, on a sports bracket name. because there is a, an entire baseball part of the movie that With warrants the queen. Yes, that is again one of the most entertaining sports movie scenes you'll ever see. Yes. And go watch it and you'll Umpires know Umpires can be cool too. Yes. Yes. Uh, and don't call me Shirley. The King of Kong did not move on. What is the subtitle for The King of Kong? A Fistful of Quarters. <laughs> yes. A great title it's for a great, a great film. Okay. Now. We need... See, that movie made me want to go to the Nickelcade. Oh, and just absolutely. Start, start practicing. Burning through those nickels. Okay. <laughs> now we have the difficult task of narrowing it down to two films and then – the ultimate winner. Let's start with the one that's not going to be a contest at all, in my opinion. From last week, just to recap, we had categories, uh, sports movies from the sports, baseball and racing and basketball and kids movies. Kids movies yes. In general. And surprisingly, one a of the kid kids movies made on? it to the final four. And it's not the one that most Should people have never would think. made it there. It was not The Sandlot. And it wasn't Space Jam. And Cole and I will agree on this, even though we voted it through to the final four. We don't think it's the best in the franchise of the Mighty Ducks. The that second would, one. That would go to D2, the mm-hmm. Mighty Ducks. Anyway, I'm voting for Field of Dreams. It's no surprise for me. This is a great film about faith. It's a great film about baseball. And it's a great film about a relationship between a father and a son. Field of Dreams is moving on for me. Amen. Cole? I will be honest. I voted for Mighty Ducks because I was a little vindictive that Sandlot beat <laughs> Space Jam, which should have made it to the final four. <laughs> wow. And so, you're not alone on that, surprisingly. We're taking a look at some of these brackets that people filled out. When Field of Dreams, though, goes up against Mighty Ducks, Field of Dreams goes on. It is unanimous. Yes. Okay. Now, this is the one that might be a little tougher for some, but not for me. Because no. I still feel of the two R films that moved on. <laughs> but that's not rated R, by the way. That's just R for title. Yes, yes. Rudy, Rocky. <laughs> Rocky has got to go on. It, in my opinion, is the greatest sports franchise ever. It has motivated more people to get to the gym than any other film that I can think of. So, and I, I love how I believe in the, at the end of Rocky Balboa, which was the sixth Rocky film, yep. they show footage of people taking those steps up, mm-hmm. uh, those steps uh, exercising. It motivates so many people still to this day. It's got to go on to the final two. I do have a question, Mr. Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Why did they move the statue? Uh, this. It was the city's fault. It, yeah, so originally they put the statue, they had a statue at the top of at the, the stairs, top of the stairs, like he was. You know, it was attracting too many people oh, to I an see. actual city, like business, like a the government kind too of many thing. Tourists. Too many tourists were clogging up the stairs of like the government's people, and, and so the government crowded. voted to okay. move the statue. So away. Sean O'Neill, the real question is: Is this unanimous? Well, we know what Cole's voting. for. <laughs> I know that's why I'm asking you. And yes, it is unanimous. But also because Rudy is much weaker than you remember it to be. Again, I kind of admitted I'm a smaller guy whenever we were talking about pumping iron. And I kind of find it offensive the way Rudy is portrayed. I know maybe it was true to life, but as a kid that has no dreams or no hopes of ever playing football, but also loving football, um, it just it was very demeaning to just. It portrayed him as just a nerd who had this pipe dream that sure it came true, but he never really. I never felt that he overcame what he was trying to overcome to do it. It, it was okay. very confusing. I don't like well, Rudy. And if I this do- was Remember the Titans versus Rocky, I would have actually had a tough time. As much of a Rocky fan and a Pennsylvania fan as I am, Remember <laughs> the Titans would have been tough. 
Rudy isn't. Okay. Well, I do know that the whole scene where the players come in and turn their jerseys into the coach, that never happened. That's true. A little melodramatic but, for but me. I have, they never but started you know chanting, what? Rudy, yeah. Rudy. But I'm sorry. The movie is what it is, and it, it's, a, it's a fictional story of a true story, and it makes me feel good. Okay. So we're down but to— so does Rocky. We're down to the two final films, films that feature sports that have made countless— pictures, oh, yes. uh, especially boxing. Surprisingly, there are a high number of boxing movies. I wonder why that is. Because it's, it's, you only have two people you have to film. And it's, it's kind of old, like baseball yeah. and boxing are both kind of 1920s kind yeah. of sports. Yeah. I'm, I'll vote last on this one. I want to hear what you guys say. I, I know what I'm voting for, but I want to hear what you're going to say, Cole. It's no surprise oh, what you're going to vote Cole's for. Right, for. so I'm going to continue to vote for Rocky. Yes. I Is Sean going to make it interesting? Yes, I am. There we go, yeah. Because I cannot not vote for Field of Dreams. Wow. Wow. Okay. In the Even though time... it's going up against Rocky. I, seriously, two of the best sports movies ever made. For me, it's still Rocky. <sighs> it's Rocky... Rocky has one of the greatest soundtracks ever created. I have to agree. It is probably the greatest sports movie ever created. And like I said, I can't get I can't get over the fact that this film has inspired so many people to not only get to the gym, but change their lives in other ways too. And I think when you can get a movie franchise that does that consistently and consistently well, You've you've got to stick with it. It's an it's inspiring and wholesome in its family relationships while still being rooted in reality. It's it's all of it. It's the whole package. There you have it, folks. And if you didn't win, if your film didn't win, don't worry. There's always next year. Who's to say Rocky might not win next year when we put it up against other films? But you'll have to wait until then. Until then, we've got uh, uh, BYU Sports Nation is coming up next. 